decide to tell her to relax And a cat can't slip indoors Through multitudes of cracks But it's funny what they do Cause cracks lead outside too When I asked her where she's going She said far away from you Stuck here on my own Stand it, but I ain't losing sleep. I'm not gonna let down. I head north out of town. I don't know, but I think I'll go and try dog mushing with an Eskimo in Alaska. Alaska, I think I'll try Alaska somewhere.
to uh get up the show notes for or not the show notes but the the eventually published show notes because i'm not going to deal with this tomorrow so if you hear clickety clacking as we are talking it's because i'm taking notes do you want um timestamps to make your uh your chapter markers easier no the timestamps move when i edit so it doesn't matter um i do so a few chapter markers that it Adding the chapter markers is only taking like five minutes. Can I just point out that I think if we've received, let's say, 20 pieces of feedback with regard to the chapter markers, easily 18 of which have somehow traced back to Germany. Oh, at least. I, I bet the other two that weren't from Germany were people who were actually German, just were living somewhere else temporarily. You know, <laughs> Maybe a German heritage. I don't right. Know. It's so funny. I don't know what it is with the Germans and their chapter markers, but God, do they ever love them. They really do. It's funny because no one else really seems to care uh, or yeah. even notice, but, nope. but the Germans love them. Like, it's, it's a big deal. Although they're, all using, they're all using a uh, popular podcast client that doesn't support chapter markers. Uh. <laughs> on, anyway. <laughs> I just, I, I wonder what, so what clients do support chapter markers? You would know. 
I think I'm the only one who doesn't, actually. I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> um, I know the Apple one does to a limited degree. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's easy because there's actually an API, which I, which I um, recently learned about. There's actually an API in AV Player to just fetch chapters, and it supports almost every format that's out there in, a, in at least a basic way. Um, and I, I actually tried it briefly, and it had an issue where it would just it would just write all over random memory garbage with certain files that had embedded artwork in their chapters. Oh, um, cool. So it would just destroy the memory and corrupt everything, and eventually the app would crash when you loaded like this one particular file. And it's obviously it's not well written enough to for me to want to use. So I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. if there's enough uh, demand. I, I you know I said I said months ago I think whenever I wrote that that post about why I was not planning on supporting chapters I said basically if if demand ever really shifted uh, I would consider them so you know hey if you want chapters tell me and uh we'll see what happens you know what you should do is whenever you're up for a new lease you should spend you know the time leading up to then building chapter support so when you return to munich to do european delivery you will be you will be war- welcomed there like a god because you think i think so because if there's anything that germans love in the entire world other than order it is chapters yeah they i i really do like the germans though actually i do too as much I, as i'm poking fun i really do as well i, I feel like these are like my people like they're they're nerds who drive well and are on time to things, and that's just amazing. <laughs> no, I, again, as much as I'm poking fun, I couldn't possibly agree with you more. And as Eschatologist says in the chat, chapters are a form of order. So <laughs> that, that's a fair point. Well, I just, oh, I've never goodness. used chapters myself, like as a podcast listener. And maybe that's because I spent the last you know two to two and a half years or whatever it's been using my own app, which doesn't support them. But I've just never been compelled to and and there's also a major supply issue where uh very few podcasts use chapter marks and i don't know what are people using to put them in i know there there's a there's a web service called Auphonic that does a lot of podcast post-processing stuff and they offer it but that's like a paid monthly kind of service and and i, I know jason snell uses that for clockwise but beyond that like there used to be an apple tool i think in GarageBand or something but they they discontinued it years ago so i don't know what I don't know. Like, I think there's there's two problems here. There's a, there's a tools problem and a uh, and a client problem, and that combines to form at least part of the demand problem. So I don't know. We'll so see. what magic are you using? Uh, I'm solving the tools problem first, and mm-hmm. we're gonna move on. Hmm. All right. So we should probably do some follow up. Uh, John, why don't you tell us about what uh, Sachin Adela has said about your hatred of Apple? That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway, this is a review from a while, uh, interview from a while ago uh, where Sachin Nadella is talking to Mary Jo Foley at ZDNet in a long interview. And one, I think we pulled a snippet from this interview before, which is why I, I had read it. But I pulled out this other snippet that I thought was interesting. This is Sachin Nadella talking. He says, you've got to remember even the Apple regeneration started with colorful iMacs. So let us first get the colorful iMacs. I think... With what we're doing with Lumia, we're at that stage. I want to do good devices that people like, and then we will go on to doing the next thing and the next thing. I thought this was really interesting to see the CEO of Microsoft basically like intentionally pull them pull Microsoft down to Apple's level to say we are where Microsoft where, where Apple was uh, 
before their resurgence. We are at uh, such an incredible low point that we're, we're at the stage where we're going to make some colorful iMacs. We're not at the stage where we're making the iPod. We're not at the stage where we're making the iPhone or the iPad. We're at the stage where we're making the colorful iMacs, which I think is sandbagging in the highest degree because Microsoft is nowhere near the low point that Apple was when Steve Jobs came back or when they were introducing the iMacs. Nowhere near that low, like financially, like the 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 quality and number of products they have and that they sell and just like in every other respect. But this is this is how the CEO of Microsoft is positioning his company to say we want you to lower your expectations of us, I guess. Like, think of us like where Apple was. Like, you know, give us a chance. We're, you know, maybe we're not blowing you away, but we just want to make something cool that kind of catches the imagination is kind of popular. And that's what we think we're doing with these new Lumia phones. And I know they're not the next iPhone, but, you know, come on, give us a break. It took Apple a while too. Really interesting strategy. Something that I think also that someone from the old Microsoft, like Gates or Balmer, could not pull off just because since they were the people in charge when Microsoft was king of the world, it would sound weird for them to say Microsoft is basically where Apple was in 1998, <laughs> but, you know, because it would just, I don't know if they, those words could even come out of their mouth or if they could put themselves in that position, but a new CEO can say that. And I thought it was an interesting strategy um, for how they're trying to position their company to the outside world. Yeah, it's uh, an odd analogy, but I mean, it's, it sort of makes sense. Um, why don't you tell us about the trim saga that will never end? Yeah, I think we talked about the Samsung, popular Samsung SSDs, and there were, people were filing bugs against them. And then Samsung was like, uh, that's not our problem because you're using it in Linux and Linux isn't a supported platform. And then people got angry. And then we didn't know whether there were problems with these popular SSDs or not. Uh, the latest development in that saga is that Samsung says it's not a problem with our firmware or our drives. It's a problem with the Linux kernel, and here's a patch to help fix it. I don't know what the actual problem is. Maybe their patch to the kernel works around a problem in Samsung's SSDs. There's another link that's eternally being put off in the show notes where some Mac NN article is trying to uh, test these popular SSDs in OS X and see if they can create a corruption uh, and I don't know how rigorous their testing is, but I would say this whole thing is still a question mark to me because just because Samsung says it's a bug in a Linux kernel and provides a patch to work around it, uh, was it a Linux kernel bug? Like, like I said, is their patch just working around a bug in the firmware? And is any of this relevant at all to people running OS X? I don't know. So still, I'm just hanging back and not bothering with the trim stuff and keeping my fingers crossed. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off for him. Uh, that's a reference, by the way. Uh, Marco, <laughs> tell us about uh, your cellular option dilemma. Yeah, so in in last week's episode, uh, I talked about how I was having a, an issue with uh, deciding Overcast's cellular download preferences uh, because I'm adding streaming for the next big version, and there was a question of should streaming have its own preference, and I already had these two other preferences, and how do I combine these these possibly three preferences in any way that makes sense and is... And is uh, understandable by users and doesn't have too much clutter in the options and complexity and everything. Uh, and I, I explained that part of the reason why... So right now I have, in the current version, there's there's two options. One of them is download over cellular, which makes sense. The other one is basically, like, try to do anything over cellular. And the reason why I couldn't just rely on the system toggle for that was because of what I considered a bug in the system reachability framework, which is that if, if a user had disabled cell access completely for the app in, in iOS settings, which you can do per app, um, 
the system would still tell the app that it was connected to the internet via cellular, and so the app would then have the app would have no way to tell that it wasn't that it wasn't allowed to use this connection. So it, if it tried to use the connection, it would show the annoying box to the user saying cellular's data is disabled for this app. You can change that in settings. And my feeling was it should be the way it used to be, which is that if somebody disabled cell access for you in iOS seven, uh, it would it, the system would report to your app that it was just offline when it was on cellular. So then you could just avoid doing things and not show that stupid alert to people. Uh, turns out, in iOS 8.4, that bug is still there. But in iOS 9, it's fixed. So in iOS 9, I, I did some testing over the last couple of days. In iOS 9, uh, if you, as, as the app, use the reachability framework to test the connection, if the user's on cellular and you aren't allowed to use it, it properly reports it as offline, which is the way it used to be and the way it should have always been. Uh, so... This lets me remove that second setting I have now, which is the, the it's, it's called sync over cellular. Uh, it lets me remove that setting completely, which is great. So now I only will have the download over cellular option in the, um, in the downloader area. And I don't, need, I don't need a streaming option at all because streaming can just rely on the system setting. If you don't want Overcast to use cell data, just disable it in system settings. And that's it. So I've gone from two settings in the current version to potentially needing three in the next version, but instead going down to one. Which Why is don't you need the settings anymore? Are you saying the next version is not going to run on iOS 8? I'm saying I will no longer care about a minor annoyance detail that will affect very, very few people. It's not worth keeping it. Like, so, for instance, the current version of the app also has a, uh, a setting in nitpicky details called Seek Acceleration. This is a setting I've actually had since, since 1.0. Uh, when you seek an overcast, if you hit seek back or forward by like you know the, the 30 seconds or whatever if you hit that a bunch of times in a row uh like so that you, you're doing like you know more than one per second basically i forget what exactly what my threshold is but if you do more than one of those per second after a few i start increasing the interval that they're seeking by so it lets you if you if you're in a situation where you only have access to seek back and forward features like if you're in a car and it has the button integration or if you have headphones with those buttons on them or a remote with the, with those buttons on it if you want to seek a long distance in a track, it lets you get there a lot faster. So if you seek a whole bunch of times in a row, it'll go like, you know, 30, 30, 30, 45, 50, 60, 90. Like it'll, it'll accelerate up, up, up to a certain ceiling. And I've always had an option to disable that since 1.0. And, and that option syncs to the server because that syncs to your account. So I can actually tell how many people use it. And I've been watching, and I brought up on Twitter a few months back, hey, can I just remove this option? And I learned that most most of the respondents didn't really understand what it did. Whether they said, yes, remove it, or no, keep it, most of them seemed like they were misunderstanding what it did. And so I decided, that doesn't need to be an option anymore. And I looked at, I looked at the server, and it, usage of it was under 1% of people who changed the default, which is on. So in 2.0, that option is just gone. I'm not going to keep a setting around in, in what is a very small setting screen that's used by fewer than 1% of the users. That's, that's not worth the complexity. So back to the cellular thing, uh, this, you know, people who are going to disable cellular in the system preferences completely for the app. I can't measure that right now. I'm guessing it's probably not below 1%, but I bet it's pretty low. So people who are going to disable that and also who are going to be running iOS 8 for longer than the next couple of months, uh, it's not worth it. It's not worth keeping that setting around just, just to have them ha to have them be able to avoid 
seeing the cell data disabled dialogue box as often as they could. You know, it's it's such a small gain for so few people for such a short time that it's just not worth it. Also, I'm not taking the move to iOS 9 as something that needs to be very carefully and slowly done. As soon as iOS 9 is out, I'm probably going to release an update that requires it, or at least soon afterwards, depending on you know what compelling reasons I have. Uh, because the fact is iOS 9 runs on every device that iOS 8 runs on. Uh, jailbreakers haven't jailbroken it yet, I don't think, but I don't care. I, I, I honestly do not care at all what jailbreakers can run. I don't follow that. I don't need to follow that. I think if you jailbreak... That's up to you to follow, and I, I can't waste my time on that because jailbreaking is just a nightmare of support complexity, and it's and it's just not worth it. So regardless, I don't care about jailbreakability, and uh, so and, and and people who like hold on to old versions forever because they just don't like the new version, I don't really cater to them either. I feel like I need to support devices, or ra- rather, if your device can run iOS whatever. I don't feel bad requiring iOS whatever. Even if you choose not to install iOS whatever, if you choose to keep the old version around, I consider that like, okay, well, part of your cost of doing that is you're going to lose you know, future updates to apps that require all this stuff. So anyway, that's how I feel about that. What was the question? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I was basically asking you if you were going to make uh, uh, Overcast iOS 9 only, and you eventually worked up to it. Yeah, I mean, right now... I'm building 2.0 against iOS 8 because I would like to release it before iOS 9 is released. I don't know if I will. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to. I mean, I'm trying. I, I would like to release it as soon as I can. Um, just to be so, clear, just yeah. to be clear, the last time you said you want to release soon, you ended up a year late. Is that correct? <laughs> Something like that. Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Yeah. No, actually, what what is motivating me to want to release this soon is actually the playlist reordering bug. <laughs> that, like because it's going to be it's too complicated to backport the fix to that into the 1.0 branch and uh so i would like to act, like, i'm actually planning on now cutting a few features from 2.0's initial launch just so i can get it out faster and then adding back those features later in like 2.1 or whatever fair enough all right anything else in the follow-up department all right we have no tell more follow-up some? well we well i i kind of upgraded the next topic, which we'll get to after you tell us about something that's awesome from follow-up to a full-bore topic. Uh, hopefully that won't cause a mutiny from Mr. Syracuse. But before we deal with that, <laughs> why don't you uh, tell me about something that's cool? All right. Our first sponsor this week is Need. Need is a curated retailer and publication for men, and the people behind Need recently launched Foremost, a purveyor of small-batch American-made clothing for men and women. Uh, so this is great. Need is run by our friend uh, Matt Alexander. He's a really, really super nice guy. He he was, in case you guys don't know, not only was he on, is he on the uh, the Bonanza podcast, but he's also he was the British voice in our ATP shirt parody promo. Uh, so want to thank him first of all for coming in uh, last minute with this because we uh, had somebody drop out and he was awesome and picked it up. So thank you, Matt Alexander. Anyway. Need is, as I said, a curated retailer and publication, and they sell mostly uh, they sell men's clothing. Uh, but they also sell literature, furniture, coffee, and more for discerning shoppers. Uh, and they, so each month, they curate and sell, and sometimes even design, a limited selection of these products. So rather than offering an overwhelming selection of everything under the sun all at once, Need only sells 10 to 15 products exclusively each month, whilst, he's British, so he says whilst, so I will say whilst, <laughs> whilst also offering an ongoing array of essentials. So they have, they have the monthly editions and they have essentials, which are always available. 
So Need just launched its latest collection, Volume 2.8, featuring items as diverse as responsibly made furniture, bicycles, clothing, sunglasses, and literature. There's no subscriptions, there's no services, there's no boxes or stylists or other gimmicks. Uh, instead, Need simply sends you an email or two each month. You come along to see what's new, you buy some things if you want them, and then you move on with your life. Very simple, no gimmicks, no subscriptions, nothing like that. Now, for ATP listeners, Need is offering 25% off anything on the site with the code PREFOLLOWUP. <laughs> and this is now this 25% off. This is actually, not only is this more than their normal discounts, this is the biggest discount they've ever offered. I, I asked, I verified that with them. Biggest discount they've ever offered, 25% off anything you buy with code PREFOLLOWUP. Now, Foremost is their new site. Foremost is uh, it's a small batch American-made clothing line for men and women. So this is high-quality American-made stuff, men and women. And as an added bonus, the code pre-follow-up will also apply to anything you buy from Foremost. So Foremost has released four men's and women's collections to date. Their latest round has received enormous praise for its quality and affordability. Now, even TechCrunch, TechCrunch is the bastion of modern fashion. TechCrunch wrote, Foremost offers J.Crew quality at H&M pricing. Now, I don't know what any of those words mean, but Matt promised me that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, do you know what those are? Yes. J.Crew quality at H&M pricing? That's a yes. good thing? All right, it's Matt said it was thing. a good thing. All right. Anyway, check out Need and Foremost for men and women by visiting neededition.com and foremostedition.com. You can even say hello and harass them in the live chat widget on the site, which is always powered by one of Need's employees or Matt himself. Never outsourced anybody crazy or bots. So anyway, <laughs> thank you very much to Matt Alexander and Need Edition and foremostedition.com. Use code PREFOLLOWUP at checkout to save 25% off anything in the store, the biggest discount they've ever offered. And uh, personally, as I said, Matt's a really nice guy. He came in at the last minute, saved our butts, so support him. And he recently got engaged, and he's super nice, and he supports us. So I would like to challenge the listeners. This is not in the script. I'd like to challenge the listeners. Let's try to sell them out completely. Like, I want to deplete all of their stock of everything. And foremost might be tough. Need we can need we can probably do. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's deplete their entire stock of everything. Really, go to neededition.com and foremostedition.com. Use code prefollowup for twenty five percent off. Thanks a lot to Need and Foremost for sponsoring our show. All right. Uh, so we had a discussion about Reddit last episode, and we got some we feedback got nothing about wrong. that. We got nothing wrong, not a thing. Uh, we got some <laughs> feedback about that. We got less than I expected, which I was kind of happy about. And it was less vile than I expected, which I was super happy about. But we've got we've got some new thoughts or some things to address, perhaps. Um, John, would you like to tell us about some of the things that, you, that you've learned, discovered, or thought about since then? Back when this was in the follow-up section, seems so long ago, um, <laughs> this topic, I mean. I thought of like removing a lot of it because I just listened to uh, last week episode and I was like, yeah, I pretty much I think I pretty much said everything I wanted to say on the topic. And, and the reason I, you know, because I had all this follow up, you know, when feedback comes in, I add corrections to the follow up, go through, you know, the normal pattern of stuff. But then I listened to the episode. I'm like, but in that episode, I had so many disclaimers. Like at the end of the thing, I was like, I know I got most of the details wrong, but it's not the details that I'm talking about. I'm trying to just address the big picture, blah, blah, blah. People don't care. They still want to uh, correct you on the details, which is fine. Um, so I, I, in the end, I left it in, especially once Casey moved it down to be a topic. But uh, there are a couple of just straight up factual things that I didn't later say that I knew I got wrong. One of them was that Reddit is owned by Condé Nast, and that is no longer the case. We'll link to a little uh, fact about it there where 
they were owned by Condé Nast, and then they were owned by Condé Nast's parent company, but then they were spun out and reincorporated independently. And so, according to this thing, the best characterization might be to say that Reddit is a part sibling once removed of Condé Nast. So oh, there that you go. totally clears things up. Anyway, well, yeah, I, know, you know, I didn't realize was, any of that. I thought Condé that was something I did not know. I got it wrong because most of the other details, I was just like winging it and giving examples. And every time I gave an example, I was like, I know that's probably not accurate or true. But I mean, it makes it seem like I didn't read a lot about this. When I did, I just didn't write down or memorize the the individual facts. It was try why I was trying to go big picture. And that brings me to the next topic, which is. The few uh, mildly, mildly negative uh, bits of feedback we got seemed to me to be treating all three of us as if we had never heard of Reddit. Like, what is this crazy Reddit thing? Have you heard about this? And I don't know about you two guys who are younger than I am, but like if I gave the impression that, you know, we, like we all said, we don't we're not Reddit regulars. We don't go to the site. We are not part of the community. We don't consider ourselves Redditors or whatever. But it's not as if Reddit is this new thing that we just learned about when this controversy came. So I went and looked up my info, at least. Uh, Reddit was founded on June 23rd, 2005, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. My account <laughs> at Reddit was created on August 8th, 2005, which is 46 days after it was founded. So I'm sorry that I did not get in on the ground floor of Reddit. The site was around for a whole 46 <laughs> days before I joined and was a member for the next 10 years. Like, again, I'm not a, I'm not a regular uh, member of Reddit, right? I do not go there frequently, but I think the uh, the most angry characterization is of, as, uh, us being entirely out of touch with Reddit or just having discovered Reddit due to the Ellen Powell controversy is wildly inaccurate. Yeah, and I think part of what we were trying to describe is expressly what an outsider thinks of the situation. And I, I agree with you, John, that I don't think any of us painted us as experts on what the intricacies of how Reddit works internally, either for users or moderators or employees. But um, I, I know that we were all speaking more of, hey, from from an outsider, kind of third party that's not really invested in this looking in, it looks kind of gross. And I stand by that. Yeah, like that's the perspective we were giving as as casuals, like uh, not as people who are confused by what this whole crazy Reddit thing is, but it's just like there's a community, it exists, and we're not really that involved in it. We know about it, we dip in and out of it, we see it, right? But we're you know, and we're not, and I think I think that's most people. Like most people are not hardcore Reddit users. Reddit has tremendous traffic. Only a small portion of that tremendous traffic are the sort of very dedicated people who are very invested in Reddit as a community. That's the nature of any high traffic site. You know, you don't have millions and millions of people, all of whom are super invested in you. That's just that's just, you know, numbers. Right. Um, so our perspective as sort of outsiders, outsiders who I think understand the phenomenon of Reddit and sites like Reddit and the dynamics of online communities, but are not so invested in it that sort of any discussion of any negative aspect of Reddit is seen as a condemnation of all members of Reddit. Like that's not where we were coming from at all. But we were, we were giving an outside perspective. And I think I certainly was not particularly interested in the specific details of whatever the controversy of the day is about. He said, he said, and she said this, and these people are harassing this person. And these are the internal politics there. Just trying to say like, is, is Reddit a place that we feel like, yeah, we would like to hang out, uh, uh, you know, and if not, why not? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the only somewhat decent feedback. Well, that's not fair. The, the, the feedback that struck me most that we got was someone who said in so many words, you know, you, you were complaining and moaning about Reddit and how gross Reddit is. 
But a lot of gross stuff happens on Twitter and nobody, none, none of the three of us really complained and moaned about Twitter last episode. And I, I, that really made me think for a minute and I don't have any good answers. Um, maybe because I'm pretty invested in Twitter and I'm invested in what I like to think of as the good corner of Twitter. Um, I don't see a lot of the just absolutely vile, terrible, disgusting things that happen on Twitter because they happen. They definitely happen, but I don't get exposed to it yet. I feel like I hear a lot more often about the terrible, vile and disgusting things that happen on Reddit. And I was curious, John or Marco, if you guys had any thoughts about why Twitter is okay, but Reddit isn't. Oh, they're both disasters. We just know how to, (laughs) I mean, I I think it's, (laughs) you can look at both of those and say, wow, both of these are absolutely horrible at dealing with abusive people. Um, That's, that's just the way it is. In fact, Twitter might even be worse. I don't know. I I don't know enough about Reddit to say. Uh, Twitter's really bad about it. (laughs) I know that. Well, we did talk about it last show, and I mentioned this was the, the objection that I said, like, I, I, I was feeling some trepidation about going to Reddit because I, I felt like I was kind of tacitly supporting an organization that provides a home for, uh, you know, communities that that I that, that, that make me uncomfortable that I don't like. Right. Um, and I didn't feel that with Twitter. And I think it, for me, it, the difference is and I, I'd mentioned like, well, because, you know, I don't see any ads on Twitter, so what am I really doing that's supporting them? But, you know, the, this feedback from Don is right that, like, by my participation in Twitter, I'm still supporting them whether I see ads or not, right? And I think the reason I feel differently about it is not so much with my investment in Twitter, but that for as bad as Twitter is about dealing with harassment, they they have policies in place that if you were to look at the policies, you would say, these are good, and they show that Twitter doesn't want this thing to happen. They're really bad at implementing those policies. Many times their implementation, again, is like, oh, we have a, f- a way for you to report people for harassment. We'll do something about it. And, and like the, the form would require revealing your personal information to the person you're harassing. And they would uh, their decision-making process would, would not be great on it. But like the fact that the Twitter CEO comes out and said, we are really bad at this and we need to get better, and that they have taken positive steps to make them to make their company better uh, dealing with this shows that they this is the direction they want to go in it's not as if the ceo of twitter is saying we're really bad at it and that's by design because we don't want to clamp down too much we want to make sure people feel free to say whatever they want to say that's not the message coming out of twitter at all execution wise still bad but everything they have done and everything they have said and done is saying they're it's aspirational. They're saying, we want to be over there. We want people to feel more welcome on Twitter. We want to deal with the harassment problem. We want to stop this from happening. And here are the things that we're going to do. And then, you know, they try to do something and people complain or whatever. And the thing that's most upsetting to me about Reddit is the aspirational thing. Does I don't agree with their aspirations. Reddit says, we want our community to be like this. I'm like, okay, well, that's, I don't like that. I don't like that goal state. I think Twitter's goal state, if you were to talk to the CEO of what do you want Twitter to be like? What are you trying to reach? I would agree more with what they're going for in terms of a place where people feel like they're free from abusive behavior or have not free from, but have the tools to deal with abusive behavior, right? The Twitter wants to provide that. Whereas Reddit seems to want to provide a safe haven for people to trade uh, ideas and behave in ways that I, that, that I don't like. Right. And again, this like, I'm glad no one has brought this up. To the credit of all the people, of all the various Reddit people uh, who have uh, listened to this thing and sent feedback, nobody has brought out the old, you know, uh, the old saw about like, uh, 
you're trying to say that Reddit doesn't have a right to exist. Like, I'm so glad that, that I mean, either that speaks to the, the the small number of Reddit people listen to our show or the the general intelligence of people who are Reddit, not to bring out that ridiculous argument of like, I tried very hard in the last show to frame it as, does this feel something, does this community feel like something that I want to participate in, participate in, why and why not? Everyone's free to make the community they want to make. All I'm talking about is, does this feel like something that I want to join in? And my secondary uh, point, which I think we'll get to in a little bit, was like, does the community that they say they want to make, is it the type of thing that I think would be broadly appealing? Right. And I think that's that's where you get into, you know, like Marco not allowing KKK podcasts on his hypothetical podcast network. <laughs> that's the type of decision where you can say. If you did that. It, most people wouldn't care like that, that is something that, that excludes that that would be broadly appealing because it's not a system of government. It's just a private website. And if a private website banned that type of, of content, everyone would be like, all right, yeah, I'm fine with that. Like that is a broadly appealing decision. Less broadly appealing, banning vegetarians, right? Then all of a sudden, like, well, <laughs> now you are really narrowing your audience because if you decide that's what you want on your site, that's fine. But a lot of people are going to rightly say, now that's getting to be, you know, like the, the, the whole idea that there are that there are standards, sort of community standards, like human community standards, whether they're local or state or, or country or international community standards that mean if you want something to appeal to the broadest number of people, everyone's okay with you excluding these ideas and this behavior. But once you start getting what, you know, once you start crossing over into like, well, that just seems like arbitrary and weird, like not allowing left-handed people. Hmm. That's, you know, that, that seems, that doesn't seem weird, but not allowing uh, the KKK. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Ban them. I don't like, I think that's okay. They were, they were bothersome anyway. I don't like those ideas. Right. And that, Maybe that bothers a lot of people, especially if you have a sort of logical mindset. It's like, no, you can't. You either have to allow all ideas or allow no ideas. If you can't, how, how do you describe that? What's different about the KKK and left-handed people? Like, they, they are just, it's equivalently arbitrary, right? They're just ideas, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that that brings uh, down to the, uh, the Reddit Q&A that someone linked to with uh, the current uh, Reddit CEO, Steve Huffman, Spez on, uh, on Reddit. It's, it's a, it's a nice thing with the Q and a, the best thing about it, of course, is speaking of Marco's complaints about the giant intent indented conversations, uh, a <laughs> nice person emailed this to us. I'm for, I, I lost the name because it's uh, somewhere in the, uh, in our email, but the Q and a is like a bunch of questions and that with numbers and then the answers follow them. So it's like questions one through seven questions, one, two, three, you know, and then, and then down below there are the answers and the nice person who emailed us did the same thing and, Put the question, then answer, then question, then answer. Instead of a giant list of questions and then a giant list of numbered answers, and you have to keep like mapping back and forth in your mind or keep scrolling back up. All right, so this is section two, question number two. The question was blah, and now scroll down and read the answer. God, Reddit just really is not. Yeah, this is uh, totally aside from the policy issues. It's not a really welcoming site for people who don't like navigating giant walls of uh, indented text. Anyway. Uh, a few items from this Q&A, which I think is doesn't pin anything down. Like they're still trying to work out what they're trying to do. But I, I picked out a few examples that spoke to the thing that I find uh, unappealing about Reddit. So, again, this is the CEO uh, answering some questions. Mocking and calling people stupid is not harassment. Right. That was an answer to which question I got to scroll up and find it. Uh, in, in regards to subreddits for mocking another group, what is the policy on them? Blah, blah, blah. So mocking and calling people stupid is not harassment. I, I assume that it's defined as not harassment because 
either implicitly or earlier, they're saying, well, harassment is something we don't want. And mocking and calling people stupid is not harassment. Turning this position around, what it basically means is if you come to participate on Reddit, it very well may happen that you get mocked and called stupid. Which, fine, like, again, you know, you, you define the rules of the community, whatever you want, right? But I would compare this to the Ars Technica policy that I talked about in the last show, where Ars Technica's thing is no ad hominem attacks. Have a discussion on the topic at hand. Disagree as violently as you want about, you know, whether the uh, whether Altevec or MMX is better. But no mocking people are calling them stupid. Don't attack the person, attack the ideas. That's the Ars Technica comment policy, right? And I don't think Ars Technica is a super high-minded site where everyone has good behavior. It is a pretty rough-and-tumble crowd there, right? It's also probably male-dominated. It's got all sort of similar pathologies of the Reddit stuff. And yet Ars Technica has this rule that says, don't attack the person, attack the ideas. Reddit, they're saying, mocking and calling people stupid is not harassment. That's something we think is acceptable behavior in all of our communities. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. You can't ban someone for doing it just because they call you stupid or mock you. That, I find that distasteful. I don't think that's beyond the pale where it's going to be like, oh, now your site is not broadly appealing. But I think it does. I mean, like Twitter, if you come onto Twitter and people are going to mock you and call you stupid, you're going to want some, you're not going to like that. You're going to want to not see their tweets. You want to be able to block them. And if they keep doing it, then it might become harassment. But anyway, they're categorizing. It's not harassment if people do that. What if you come onto a Reddit and everybody says that you're stupid, but everyone only says it once. And every time you appear and, and post anything on Reddit, each individual person on that entire forum mocks you or calls you stupid, but only does it once. That's, I guess, still not harassment. Your experience of Reddit is that anytime you appear, no one addresses anything that you say, but they merely download you, downvote you, call you stupid, and mock you. That's not a particularly healthy or welcoming community where you where that I would want to participate in. And yet that's the one there type the thing they're defining. Uh, another item. Filling someone's inbox with PMs, private messages, saying kill yourself is harassment. Calling someone stupid on a public forum is not. Again, now it's like if you fill their inbox with private messages that only they can see saying kill yourself, that's harassment. But if you just call them stupid in public, that's not. Yeah, it doesn't I, make the, any sense. To these me. are outlining behaviors. What they're basically saying is if you're just if, if you're just sending people private messages and saying mean things to them, that's that's harassment. But if you're just saying it in public and you say it once, it's OK. And again, they can define the, they can figure out what they want the rules to be. This is the things that I read that make me feel like. This is not someplace that I would like to hang out because I'm not interested in watching people call each other names. Even if I'm not involved, I'm not interested in seeing people uh, mock each other and call each other stupid. I'm interested in an exchange of ideas. Um, I don't think any of this makes Reddit broadly unappealing, but the type of communities that can fit within the rules that they're laying down, a lot of those communities are broadly unappealing. And I think like... If you follow the letter of the law as Reddit appears to be defining things, you can have a community that is just terrible, that all it is is a bunch of people reinforcing their own really bad ideas. There was another really good one in here. The number one thing was that harboring unpopular ideologies is not a reason for banning, which sounds great. It's like exactly like, yeah, what? just because my ideology is unpopular, I shouldn't be banned. I think when people read that on Reddit, what they have in their mind is, if I think Enterprise is the best Star Trek series, I shouldn't be banned. That is definitely an unpopular, <laughs> that is an unpopular idea that Enterprise is the best Star Trek series. And so that's kind of what's in their mind. Yeah. Why should I be banned? Because I have just, you know, this is a tyranny of the majority. Why should I have to agree with everybody else? It's supposed to be a free and open exchange of ideas. Harboring unpopular ideology is not a reason for banning, right? But ideologies are different than just ideas or statements or opinions. 
harboring unpopular... There's lots of unpopular ideologies that you would say are not reasons for banning. But if your unpopular ideology is that all black people should be slaves, that is a different unpopular ideology than you think there should be a flat tax of 90% on all Americans, right? To those, and and from, from a sort of logical perspective, those are just both unpopular ideologies. Why should one be banned and another not be banned? It's all up to what kind of community you want to make. Do you, especially if you had rules against like attacking the idea, not the person, I think you could have a community in which that person who is really in favor of the 90% flat tax on all Americans could have a reasonable uh, discussion or debate about his or her position. And the person who thinks all black people should be slaves is never going to have a reasonable debate about it. Like they are different by their nature. And I think anyone can tell that they're different, but uh, the rules, according to the letter of the rules, they're both unpopular ideologies and neither one is a reason for banning. And that's the type of community that Reddit seems to be trying to create and, you know, go for it. Like if that's what I make, this one I make. That's why that's what I'm getting at when I say when I read their sort of goal state. What what are we trying to make Reddit become? Like they're still working on the details. I'm not saying they got to have it all figured out now. The site's only 10 years old. You know, take your time. Um, but <laughs> it, it it's this it's that's what's repelling me. And I think. Like I said, I think uh, the, the rules sort of as they're as they're evolving them now allow for a lot of things that would definitely be beyond what regular people want to get involved in. Um, and I guess the final only final other item I had on this is a couple of people saying the bad stuff on Reddit doesn't affect me. Some people saying the bad stuff on Reddit does affect them and they're thinking of pulling back. Uh, there is something to be said about subreddits that you don't go to not affecting your life on on the Reddit with the, the cat pictures, right? Um, and I think this gets back to like, is all of Reddit, you know, are all the people on Reddit bad? No, obviously not. The vast, vast majority of people who are heavily participating, even like the super heavy users, they, I mean, they just want to look at cat pictures, man. Like, you know, it's all good. Like, and there's great forums there and where they discuss interesting things, like tons of great stuff on Reddit. This is a case of... Uh, the rules that allow all that great stuff to bloom on forum, uh, on forum, on, on Reddit, also allow some bad stuff. And you don't want to think about the bad stuff, and you don't want to see it. But sometimes those people wander over to your end, and if they, even if they don't wander over, you know you're participating in a system that provides a little incubator for these people to reinforce their own ideas and recruit new people. And even if they stay within the letter of the law on the Reddit, the subreddit stuff. It's basically an organization uh, tool for things that you don't want to happen. Like, so fine. Maybe they email each other privately about inciting violence. Maybe they they email each other privately about doxing people, about harassing them, about doing all the things. As always, as long as you don't do it on Reddit, it's fine. Like, what do you think these communities are about? Like, they're just hateful, right? And if you are on Reddit, some some people doesn't bother. Like, I stick to the cat picture Reddit subreddit, and I'm fine, and I don't associate with them at all. I don't think the cat picture Reddit people are tainted by the other people, but they are participating in a system that allows for that. Whereas if you're on Twitter, you are participating in a system that would like not to allow for that, but but does because they're incompetent about enforcing it. So I think that is a, <laughs> I think that is a fine line. They're like, is it's not clear cut. It is definitely not clear cut. But I, I like where Twitter says it's trying to go, and so far, where Reddit says it's trying to go doesn't doesn't match up with what I prefer. It just seems like they pride themselves in these decisions that, like you, I find kind of distasteful. And it doesn't take a very big logical leap to realize that, just like you said, saying Enterprise is the best Star Trek, 
is a very, very, very different thing than saying that, you know, all black people should be slaves. It's, well, it's one, one is not an ideology. That's why I've hit the flat tax that the, like the 90 percent flat tax. It's more of an ideology or like Marxism or communism or some really unpopular. But it's an ideology. Right. I, I think that type of ideology, like there are certain there are certain ideologies that we collectively all agree as a society are so distasteful that they, you know, that, that they wouldn't you wouldn't want them to be. Uh, you you don't want them to be part of your community, right? Like people talking about that, groups discussing it. Like again, because your community is a private website. It's obviously, it, you know, we're not the United States government. People should be allowed to protest, say what they want, print what they want, do whatever you want. We're talking about what kind of community does Reddit want to create on their private website, and the kind they want to create allows for things that that I don't like. And at the enterprise example, so that's why I'm trying to come up with something that is like non-controversial but is also an ideology that is super unpopular but but i think perfectly okay to discuss in a constructive way you know what i mean yeah absolutely all right anything else on reddit marco you've been quiet for a while any thoughts i just don't care honestly i i I wish i you know as i said like there there's a limited number of things i can care about and and this just you know the the drama of what seems like a really fragmented and sometimes good, but sometimes extremely problematic community uh, that I'm not in. <laughs> I, just, I can't, my, I can't make myself care. I just can't. It's not really the specifics of Reddit that I care about so much, but again, I'm not that uh, regular of a user and I don't think it's like a linchpin of the internet that if it, uh, if something bad happens to it, there it diminishes that that'll be the end of the world. It's oh, just that that's is, not what Redditors think. Though. Well, you know, it, it, I think it'll be fine. But anyway, it, it is. I think it's just a good example of how, if you read like these guidelines, they all seem to make sense. You know, like you read them and you feel they're egalitarian, they are high-minded or whatever. Uh, but I, you know, as a uh, incredibly uh, insightful podcast once said, it's ramifications. Uh, harboring unpopular ideologies is not a reason for banning. That sounds awesome, right? What are the ramifications of that? What do you, what 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 does that lead to? What do these series of guidelines lead to? Mocking and calling people stupid is not harassment. What kind of community do you build with this set of guidelines? Uh, the shape of that community is not appealing to me. And I, and I'm making you know I'm gonna get called on this, and I think it's true. I'm making the extrapolation that because this is not appealing to me, and because I think I kind of understand what is generally accepted to be sort of like okay within polite society. Uh, certain things that fit within these the letter of these guidelines are are things that most people will find distasteful and would not want to be associated with, right? You know, our Coontown, people do not want to be associated with that in general. Advertisers certainly don't, right? And just general people, if it gets too close to them or they realize what's going on back there, you know, definitely is not something they want to deal with, right? And I think there is a standard for that. It's hard to define. That's why it's hard to write down in rules. And if you write down the rules for it, it's like, oh, slippery slope. Now you're going to ban everything, right? But it's something that every community of real people, virtual communities, everything, I think deals with much more naturally and and calmly. Like, I can't think of another group of people that, you know, <laughs> like if you had a, a bowling league and people came in the bowling league and were mocking people and calling them stupid and you're like, well, that's not against the, you know, that's fine. Like people will say, you're jerks. I don't want to bowl with you anymore. Right. <laughs> that's the way. And that somehow online, it's like, <laughs> well, they must be allowed to do that because we need to allow them to put their hateful words into our database. Otherwise, we're monsters. Yeah. Free speech doesn't mean what you think it means. 
All right. Well, I guess that's it for Reddit then. Uh, and Thank you can. God. <laughs> Marco, do you want to tell us about something else that's cool? Our second sponsor this week is Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code ATP at checkout. Squarespace is simple and powerful with very intuitive and easy-to-use tools. You can create sites with beautiful designs that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. But if you want to jump in and inject your own code, you can do that too. Uh, that all these designs are responsive, so your website scale to look great on any device. And every website plan includes a free online store with commerce functionality if you want to use it. Uh, Squarespace offers 24-7 support via live chat and email, and all of this is powered by state-of-the-art technology to ensure security and stability. No matter who links to you, no matter what happens, you're not going to get hacked, you're not going to go down, you're just going to be fine. Everything is state-of-the-art Squarespace. It is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. All of this starts at just 8 bucks a month. And if you sign up for a whole year up front, you get a free domain name. Now, we've all, many of us listening to this show, are programmers or are able to build websites in other ways with other tools. We've all probably done it. Mo- many of us have probably done it. Uh, many of us have either used or written other CMSs uh, or used other services. I can tell you I have used so many things. I have written so many things. Squarespace is so much easier and more fully featured than anything I could ever write. And even if you want to still write your own site, like, you know, I do that a lot because I'm, I'm that kind of nerd. There are still so many opportunities to use something like Squarespace that you might come across. You know, if you're making a site for a side project, you don't need to write your own CMS to make a side project site. You can just use Squarespace. If you're recommending something to a, to a friend or a loved one or, or your employer or a group you're working with, uh, you can recommend Squarespace. That's what I did with my kids' preschool and with a couple of friends. It's great. So there's always, even for people like us who can totally design our own CMSs, there's lots of situations where we shouldn't or can't do it for everything. Squarespace fills all those rules. It is so easy. It is so full-featured. You get so much for free. Check it out. Start your free trial today. This is a real free trial. No credit card required. Just start building a site. If you have an idea for a site or if you just want to fool around, start building a free trial site right now at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right. So one of the things that's been announced for the extraordinarily silly, silly named El Capitan uh, is this rootless mode thing. And I have not had a chance to look into this at all, but I'm very fascinated by what it means to me. And I say that because my day-to-day life is I live in VMware Fusion and I am running Windows in VMware Fusion in order to do my day job. And it may be, and we'll find out shortly, that this will not affect VMware Fusion at all. Or it may be that VMware Fusion will have to, or VMware will have to go to extraordinarily, extraordinary lengths in order to get themselves back to where they are today. So, John, tell me about rootless mode and what does that mean? I think you're probably going to be okay, first of all, in the VMware thing. And also, second of all, I don't understand why El Capitan is so silly, let alone extraordinary silly. I just think it's so silly. It just sounds so ridiculous. I don't know. That's racist. Anyway. Just call it, you just <laughs> it's call not it about race. The captain. The captain I actually can get behind because that's right. silly but deliberately. Anyway, um, so rootless. Uh, the, the framing for this is I just want a, uh, a brief review of the, the basic Unix security that uh, 
that OS X has. Uh, unlike classic Mac OS, which these days no one listening to this show probably remembers, uh, there are user accounts on OS X. You log into one, maybe you logged into one by default. Your user account, uh, when you create files from a user account, you're the user that owns them. You can only mess with, for the most part, the files that you own or that have permissions for anyone in your group or anyone at all to modify. Uh, and in practice, what that means is the operating system itself and other users' crap does not have permissions set on it that allow you to do anything to it. So the files that make up the operating system are owned by a different user. They're, they're in a different group. And you, as your regular user, can't mess with them. You can have an administrative user, which has uh, is in some elevated privilege groups, including including something that lets them become the super user. Like when you're at when something asks you to enter an admin user password, that's elevating your privileges to okay. Now, even though you logged into your whatever your account is, now you have super user privileges. You can modify anything on the system, and usually you're doing that on behalf of a program that wants to mess with files that otherwise you as a user wouldn't be able to mess with. Uh, and this was. Seen by Mac users as a little bit of an annoyance, but also as a as a big win of like, oh, finally, uh, I'll only be able to mess with my files by default. So you can also make non-admin accounts that can't elevate their privileges. Uh, you'd have to enter some other administrative account password to elevate privileges. So those people maybe couldn't install applications or mess with the operating system or whatever. The downside of this, as people have always discussed, uh, and which Rootless does not really address that much, but it's worth keeping in mind, is that all right, so say you have a non-admin account, which a lot of people recommend. You should have a non-admin account because that way you can't elevate your privileges to the level where you can modify anything. And all you'll ever be able to modify is your own files. You can't delete the operating system. You can't mess with anything like that. Um, so if somehow malware got onto your system or, or hijacked your web browser or whatever, and it was running as you, the lowly user, it would only be able to modify files owned by you. Well, guess what? If they delete everything in your home directory owned by you, you're going to be super sad because that's all your crap. <laughs> that's all the stuff that you care about. You don't, in the end, you don't really care about the operating system or, or so this, this counter to the Unix uh, security model goes. Uh, you can reinstall the operating system, but you own all of the pictures that are you know, in your iPhoto library, all the music that's in your iTunes thing, all the documents, all your reports, all your homework things, all your work files, all your source code. That's all owned by you. All the files you care about are owned by you for the most part. So what is this little model where I have a regular user and then the root user is elevated privileges and get up? It doesn't really help me. Like if something, if some piece of code runs loose on my system, it can delete all my stuff anyway. That is the the sort of counter to oh the Unix security model. It sounds so great, but really doesn't doesn't help me because it still can delete all my stuff. Uh, that is all true, but that's not what malware wants to do most of the time. Malware, kind of like viruses that kill their host really fast, like literal you know biological viruses. Malware that wants to either be useful or to spread can't kill its host immediately. Malware that immediately deletes someone's hard drive is not going to get very far because it's not going to have a chance to propagate because it's going to immediately nuke the person's computer and, you know, not delete their hard drive, delete all their files. Like, that will be really obvious that all their crap is gone. They're going to be super mad and it won't spread. What malware wants to do, both both for the spreading purposes and, like, why does it want to spread? It wants to spread because it wants to become a powerful thing. What you want malware to do is to silently infect someone's computer to make it a slave of your botnet, to let it mine for bitcoins, to launch distributed denial of service attacks, to do keystroke logging, to steal pictures, to turn on the webcam and record people. Like what most malware wants to do is be hidden. It doesn't want to delete all your files because that would be really obvious and you would notice and you would immediately know something is, is messed up. 
it wants to get its hooks into your system in an invisible way. And that's where the standard Unix uh, protection comes from, um, where if it wants to really get its hooks into your system, what it really wants to do is modify files that are part of the operating system so it can like log all the keystrokes of every user logged in or, or control the hardware in ways that an individual user couldn't. It wants to sort of infect the binaries that you run, a lot of which are applications installed in the application folder that maybe you don't own because they were installed by a different user or a domain user or infect the operating system itself or get into the I.O. level. Or, you know, That's what malware wants to do. And so having a separate set of permissions where plain old you, your plain old user account can't modify system files, can't install kernel extensions that uh, that intercept all your keystrokes or whatever. That's a good thing, right? So that's the content. That's that's the current situation. We haven't discussed anything about El Capitan yet, right? What El Capitan's uh, system integrity protection or rootless mode or whatever is trying to do is add another layer of protection, which is instead of just having your regular user that can elevate, you know, the privileges up to uh, the root user that can do anything, and having the the root user account that can do anything. They want to say, okay, you got a regular user account. Some of those regular user accounts are admin users who can elevate their privileges to root level, but even root can't do everything. So even if you elevate your permissions by entering an admin password or you become the root user or whatever, even that user still can't do some stuff. And the some stuff that they can't do is modify system files, inject their code into other running processes and all sorts of other things that you would take for granted on a regular Unix system. Once you elevate your privilege to super user level, you can do anything. That's the whole point of the super user. They are, you know, ID zero. They can do anything they want. doesn't matter who owns it. doesn't matter. They can do everything. This, this is limiting the power of the root user. Um, and it's doing that because history has shown that it's not too difficult to take a, an admin user account and either trick them into entering their admin password or find an exploit that elevates their privileges up to admin level. And that's where the malware can really get its hooks deep into your system. And this is saying, even if the malware gets that far, even if the malware finds tricks a user into entering their admin password and they are an admin user or finds a bug that elevates their privileges, we still don't want them to be able to mess with the operating system. Not because the operating system is super important, like that's where their stuff is, but because that's what malware wants to do to really take over the computer, to really like, you know, install that keylogger that gets every single keystroke that every user ever types in this computer and, you know, emails it to everybody and takes pictures of them and records their credit card number and does all sorts of other nasty things. Uh, that's what these things want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that. This is the feature as described. Uh, and the details, this, uh, if you want to see the details of this, this is in WWDC session 706, innocuously named Security and Your Apps, which is probably the reason I didn't even favorite it when I was at WWDC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's like, what are they going to talk about there? That's boring. But by the time I heard what it was in, it was too late. But anyway, videos are freely available. We'll put the link in the show notes. You can take a look at it. Go through all the, the different things it's going to do. I'm heartened to learn that like the directories they're limiting to the system only is like slash system, slash bin, slash user, slash sbin, all the things you would expect them to forbid uh, messing with. Uh, where are you supposed to put your stuff, your Unixy stuff? User local, like like they've been saying for years and years, put your stuff in user local. User local belongs to the user. Apple will not blow it away on system installs. I've been using it for a long, long time now. I've never had it go wrong. Uh, user local is your friend. That's where you should put your Unixy stuff. And of course, in your home directory and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, the, the limitations that they're adding here, uh, you know, all, all sound good for, for the purposes of uh, increasing security. But there are, once again, ramifications of them that are worth considering. Like, 
Um, you know, can't modify system binaries. That's fine. You shouldn't be able to do that anyway. Can't install things in the system locations. That's fine. Kernel extensions have to be signed. Well, they had to be signed already. So that's not a new, you know, thing. Um, there may be some badly behaved software out there that does currently try to shove stuff into bin user s bin or something like that. Maybe VMware does, but it's pretty easy for them to fix that by just putting their stuff in user local. So I, that's why I think VMware will probably be okay. Kernel extensions. VMware, I think, has kernel extensions. I don't know, Casey. Maybe you. I've never paid that. close enough attention, but I would presume so. But if they do, you can still have kernel extensions. Kernel extensions are still a thing. They have to just have to be signed. And I think there's probably some, you know, uh, approval process or something involved. But like, you know, official uh, ATU tipster said VMware doesn't have kernel extensions. But anyway, you can still have kernel extensions. They just have to be signed. Um, oh, well now he says it does and they're signed. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, think I think they're behind. Uh, anyway, that's, that's not a big deal either. It's just probably like installers that put stuff in slash bin just because their shirt's in everybody's path. And, and they really should put it in user local bin. And then, you know, modify people's path or do whatever they have to do. Um, can't attach to running processes and inject code. Uh, you know, can't use dtrace probes on these projected processes, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, this is a thing that you can disable, obviously. You can't disable it by becoming root. So you're not going to do sudo uh, some command and then turn this off as the whole point is root's power is limited. Uh, if you want to disable it, you have to boot into the recovery OS and disable it from there, the little recovery partition they put in there. Um, the configuration changes are stored in NVRAM. Uh, and if you, if you turn off this mode, if you say, uh, I don't want this rootless protection anymore, that setting will persist across, across OS installs. So if you install a new OS, it won't suddenly turn back on or whatever. So they're trying to be friendly about this. Although the slides say this system of how do I actually enable this if I don't want it is subject to change. Um, probably, but you know, this is again, just, you know, I doubt most people will bother uh, messing with it. It's kind of like when trim support was only available if you turned off the kernel extension signing verification nobody wanted to do that and it was scary i don't think anyone will want to turn this off um but there are ramifications for this type of decision and the one that came to my mind immediately after hearing all sorts of mac developers talk about this and all developers complaining for years about the things that the mac app store doesn't allow to exist like the kinds of apps that that aren't allowed in the mac app store are very often the most interesting apps to me and the one i thought of immediately is Dropbox, a fairly popular application that, that got its start, the Mac version of it, uh, got its start by you know, making that magical folder that syncs. But one of the key features, I think, of Dropbox when it was introduced and to this day is that when you install Dropbox on OS X and you have your little Dropbox folder and you drag things into it, a little, it badges your little icon with like a little blue spinny thing. And when it's completely synced, you get a little green checkmark badge. And those little badges, like it's like, oh, it's just a magical folder, but also there's this little extra bit of UI that tells me when something has finished syncing, right? That is, there weren't many features for Dropbox. It made a folder with an icon. It did a bunch of magic stuff behind the scenes. And those little icons were basically the whole UI and also adding a context menu uh, that pops up. But those little icon badges, how the hell do they little add little icon badges to the Finder? Like they didn't install an alternate version of the Finder. Well, they did, they, they did in-memory patching of the Finder process. They, they, the Finder was a running process as part of the operating system, and they would uh, inject their own code into the running uh, image of the Finder to make it do those little badges. You could not have Dropbox in a world where rootless mode exists in the old days. Obviously, now you can because Apple made an official API for it because there are no dummies and they know Dropbox is really popular. But what I'm thinking of is the next innovative app like Dropbox, like, it, you know, if Dropbox didn't exist, El Capitan came out, became the dominant OS install, and then someone had the idea for Dropbox, it could not exist on OS X. 
because there's no way to do what it did. The path that it followed was do something super nasty that Apple doesn't like, keep fighting Apple for years to, to be able to in memory patch their running process, eventually become so popular that Apple is forced to give you an uh, uh, to give you an official API and then have Apple close the door behind you and say, now no one else can do what Dropbox did. Uh, and this is the type of thing that I worry about from uh, with all of Apple's policies. Not so much that like they're going to stop me as a user from doing what I want because Apple's pretty good, at least on OS X, for giving you a way to like turn all this crap off if you don't want it. But that it is necessarily limiting the types of things creative third-party developers can do. Where where is the next Dropbox going? Is the next Dropbox going to even be on the Mac? Uh, is it even to be able to get off the ground? Is it is it going to be able to get to the point where? it can get to the level of popularity where Apple is forced to put official support for the APIs that it wants into its operating system. Um, or is Apple just slowly closing the door on interesting application ideas, which are, have never been avail available on iOS because you've always been limited to what you do there. But the Mac has been the remaining area where people can try so crazy sorts of things. And even if Apple doesn't have an official API for them, if something works and it becomes popular and people want it, that's sort of, the signal to Apple, hey, people really like using their Macs to do this, and this company has been doing it in a super dangerous ways for years. Maybe you can give them a nice API for that. This rootless thing is like, nope, you're never even going to be able to do it a dangerous way because no one's going to be able to tell everybody. Like Dropbox could not have gotten off the ground if they had to tell everybody, hey, by the way, reboot into recovery partition and turn off this security thing you don't understand, and then install Dropbox. It's great. Nobody would do it. It would not become popular. So that is the the promise and the uh, the worries surrounding rootless mode or system integrity or whatever you want to call it in El Capitan. Do you think some degree of that might be solved by market forces if necessary? So, for instance, uh, suppose, like, you know, one, one of the ways that a lot of these, uh, that one of the most common categories of this kind of thing that I know of are um, kind of hacks and plugins to mail.app. Aren't, aren't most of those using some kind of thing like this that won't be possible anymore? They were back in the day. I don't know if they are, uh, if that's the thing that goes on. Does Apple have an official API uh, for mail plugins at this point? I don't remember. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, you can look at situations like that uh, where there's some system app and it has some shortcomings or there's some compelling features that can only be added by these kind of things, right? Uh, and so, so you're saying, like, you know, we're not going to see those at all. I'm saying... We, we will probably still see that. Like, if, if it's compelling enough, we will still see those things, but we will see them just in other places. So in the, in the example of Dropbox, like, we just won't see it on Mac. Like, you know, if that kind of thing is not possible, it'll come to Windows first. Um, in reality, these days, mobile really matters so much, I'm not sure something like that could launch today and end up mattering. Um, but regardless, you know, it would go onto the platforms first. In the case of application plugins, like mail plugins, if those become not possible uh, through any kind of rootless protection or anything like that, uh, then we'll just see things like alternative mail clients coming up with compelling features instead. And uh, do then you think that's a, that's an equivalent thing, though? Like the the people who would make the mail plugin, making a full fledged mail application that includes the feature that you want, is a way higher bar than figuring out how to hack some plugin into mail. Well, look at where the innovation is happening now. It's not in mail; it's in Gmail. Anyway, you know, it's it, maybe that was a bad example, um, but you know, there there are things like that where like there are other ways for for great compelling ideas to gain traction and get out. And maybe it's harder, and maybe some of them are closed off, but overall you know this is i see this as really just 
another technological progression. You know, like first in the early days, you could just like you know scribble all over memory. Now we have uh, projected memory, and and you can't just do that quite as easily. And things, a lot of these things are kind of <laughs> memory invasion hacks like that. But uh, you know, some of them are not quite as bad as that. But like, I, I you know, as technology progresses, we're getting more and more protections and safeties around. Uh, you know things like system processes and and user security and everything and, and all and most of these protections cut off categories of apps and hacks and add-ons that were previously possible and so far it, you can look back at these progressions and I don't think anybody's arguing that we should that we should undo any of them or make holes in any of them uh, overall I I think we really have made substantial improvements by adding more protection over time and there are certain things like you know. Like the the political downside of these protections are things like they're not being able to sideload apps on iOS for users, you know, stuff like that. Like that, and that's 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 bad. You know, I I, I don't care for that very much. But well, they uh, improved that too on iOS nine. Like now, a regular person can can build and sign their own applications in Xcode and put it on their device without doing any weird stuff, right? Well, yeah, that I mean, yes, that's true. It's uh, you know, it, that's of limited usefulness, maybe because most people are not going to be able to do that. But just skill-wise and and time-wise, uh, regardless, you know, there's these protections over time generally improve computing for people. They generally improve stability and improve security. And usually, we look at them all and say, you know what, we're better off now. So most of these rootless protections are common sense. Uh, there's only you know some of them might be might be restrictive to applications and innovation and everything but i think i think the the percentage of those is going to be extremely low you know relative to like everything that matters in computing today where the innovation is happening in computing today i think it's moving away from places where it's important to be able to inject code in random places or modify system files i don't think we're seeing a lot of that kind of innovation anymore and i don't think we will because just the way the world is moving so even if apple didn't do this like how likely is it that the next disruptive startup was going to be a finder hack you know it's uh, honestly not that likely <laughs> how likely was it to begin with but it was like it totally was <laughs> dropbox was essentially a finder hack and a bunch of python scripts and yeah but you, how many years ago was that I, I know, but like I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. As doors close, obviously, it's like, oh, we keep see, we're seeing less of these hacks. Well, no, no, you're seeing less of these hacks because they're making them less possible. But, but I agree with you. Like, I think I wouldn't I'm not arguing against these protections, but I think if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to add these protections, which I think you should do, you have to modify your other policies to match the reality that you are now disallowing. Because previously, you know, intentionally or not, what Apple was relying on is, Sneaky, clever people will find ways to bypass things and do things that we don't want them to do. We will be angry about it and try to stop them. But despite our best efforts, some of them are going to become wildly popular and then we will grudgingly add official API support. And whether that is a conscious strategy or just like how things turn out, that is sort of the life cycle of the of the innovative software application right on the Apple platform. And if you change that life cycle by saying, you know what, we want to cut out that early part where they do the nasty thing in the gross way that we don't think they should, because it's dumb. Like we don't want people hacking. Like I don't want people, you know, I didn't like the fact that Dropbox did in-memory hacking. I remember finding ways to disable it by removing the little context menu, like injecting thing and stuff like that. Like that's all bad. But if you take that away, you have to come up with a new life cycle and the new life cycle could be uh, a developer uh, you know, a bunch of developers have a reasonable request for system API support for badging icons in the Finder. 
the current Apple would, there's no mechanism for you to get that API. Like it's chicken and egg. You can't say, no matter how many developers say, boy, we really wish there was a way we could intercept audio system wide because we have some great ideas for like audio hijack three or whatever. Like even if it's 15 different companies or even if like Adobe and Microsoft said Apple, this is like, eh, that doesn't seem important to us. You shouldn't do that anyway. Like, like there is, there is no alternate life cycle for these innovations. It's, they're cutting off one way for these things to come out. And, and I, I don't see them opening up to the point where like, we're willing to entertain your suggestions for new APIs, even if it's a lot of work for assemblement and it will only benefit you as a third party simply because we want those kind of innovative ideas on our platform. Right. Like they need to, they need to make an alternate path. Like as I put, just put a link in the show notes for the umpteenth time to my really old paths in the grass thing with the, which is a thing about Haxies with the Larry Wall quote, which is uh, not really his quote, but he's quoting somebody else about uh, university campus where they don't pave anything and they just let people walk around and wherever they wore down the grass, that's where you put the path. System hacks like that are telling you what is it that people want to do. And it's really like you need to come up with a good way to find out, all right, do people really want stupid badges on their icons or is this just something some random kid at MIT thinks would be cool for people to have? It's not even a product, it's just a feature. Like it doesn't sound like... Could, uh, what's his name, Drew, whatever, could he somehow have convinced Apple to add an official API for badging icons in the Finder? I don't see how there's any way he could possibly do it. Like, you, there needs, but there needs to be some way for, uh, if you can't do it the hacky way, what is the official way of doing it? What is the official way of making OS X or iOS or any uh, platform that Apple controls a viable place for you to do this new innovative thing that currently there's no well-supported way to do. And like you said, Marco's like, well, if they can't do it here, they'll do it first on Windows or whatever. Like, I think all computing platforms are moving in this direction. Um, and secondarily, I don't think Apple would be happy with the answer. Oh, we'll just let the innovation happen on another platform and then we'll copy it, right? Apple wants the innovation to happen on, it, on its platform, but innovation is weird and that you can't predict what it's going to want. So you have to have some way for the people with good ideas to be able to do what they want to do on your system. And that's a harder problem, I think, because back when you just let them hack stuff up, you got to, you didn't have to decide. You'd be like, well, that person did a crazy hack and no one cares. That person did a crazy hack and no one cares. That one did a crazy hack and no one cares. Oh, this person did a crazy hack and the entire world loves Dropbox. Apple can't make that call. How does Apple know the vision? Is it going to listen to all those guys and say, I want an API for this. I want an API for that. Like in some respects, the old one where you let the people hack your system was easier for Apple, but now they're kind of putting themselves on the hook to either uh, box out these creative ideas or find some new way to sort of vet which crazy ideas are worth implementing and which aren't. All right. Our final sponsor this week is Igloo. Go to igloosoftware.com slash ATP. Igloo is an internet you will actually like. Now, er anyone who's worked in a corporate environment, Casey, John, knows how painful intranets can be. Usually, work internets are awful. The content is stale, the interface is ugly, and you can't access it on your phone or do really anything really useful on mobile. Internet, it, Igloo, is an internet you'll actually like because it's designed for the user in the modern world. Igloo gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want to, where you want to, and on whatever device you want to use. Igloo is truly building a product meant for 2015, not 1997, like so many unfortunate internets. With Igloo Intranets, you can share news, you can organize your files, you can coordinate calendars and manage projects all in one place. Everything can be social, 
with comments, like buttons, and anyone can add content based on their permissions with drag and drop widgets and a WYSIWYG editor. That's what you see is what you get. I pronounce it WYSIWYG. Do you guys? Is that a thing? Yeah. All right. And Igloo makes use of responsive web design, so it looks fantastic on all your devices. And they have an amazing advanced document engine. You can preview and annotate documents all with HTML5. So it works with everything from a computer all the way down to even a BlackBerry. It works on every device. It's responsive. It's great design. You can customize your design. Uh, if one if one department wants some ugly font and you don't, you can let them have their ugly font, and you can have your department have the nice pretty font. You can do everything you want with Igloo. It is so it it really brings the best together of things like microblogging services and collaborative document annotation, all that stuff. It brings all that together in your private intranet and it's very enterprise friendly it fits a lot of requirements for enterprises it keeps everything private it's really quite impressive check it out sign up at igloosoftware.com slash atp for a free trial in fact if your group is uh, 10 or fewer people it's even free forever uh so check it out igloosoftware.com slash atp for a free trial and get started today thanks a lot to igloo for sponsoring our show once again before we leave this topic real-time follow-up from the atp tipster VMware doesn't st- shove stuff in the system directories. VMware does use kernel extensions, and VMware currently works in El Capitan's seeds one through four. So life is good for me, right? And and he and he mentioned also too, like uh, Rogue Amoeba's uh, various audio hijack products and stuff like that. Those all have signed kext, so those will all still work as well. So like, I mean, I, I but, think, but they're not available in the Mac App Store, right? Like no, audio hijack. Well, that doesn't mean not, anything these days. Right, but but couldn't be available. Not just because of their choice to put it there, but they could not put the... My understanding is that you could not put Audio Hijacked on the Mac App Store. It violates the guidelines of the Mac App Store. As far as I know, that's true. I mean, like, like there are certain loopholes. Like, like some apps will... They'll have, like, a basic version on the App Store that can do some functionality, but then to do anything fun, you have to, like, go to their website and download this optional extra component and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, there are, there are different hacks, but for the most part, uh, I think... The, whether something is allowed at the Mac App Store is almost completely irrelevant to the possible innovation that can happen on the Mac because the fact is the Mac App Store is just a, a disaster if, in so many ways. I mean, the the actual app itself from a user perspective is awful. Um, the policies are draconian and restrictive and oppressive and way worse than iOS relative to what's normal on the platform. Um, it, it's... It, buggy it's you know it's it's just awful there's so many things about it are terrible that we we can't say that well that if that won't fly in the mac app store then it won't happen on the mac because the fact is it's getting to the point now where the app store is really a ghost town and almost everything good on the mac is outside of it but like the mac app store as for as as bad as it is and uh, people might be leaving it, it i think it does express what apple wishes mac app would be like like sandbox the fact that sandboxing was there uh first and was a requirement and uh you know they don't want you to do any sort of hacks and they don't want you to install stuff like apple wishes all apps were as ni- nice and neat and self uh, self-contained as the mac app store guidelines dictate yeah uh, to the apple's mac credit app store, the- it's like it's like xhtml it's like here's <laughs> you like, really hate xhtml cats- don't you you keep pulling that one out well, really? Well, no. It just—it was a great example of like, like the cat was already out of the bag. Everybody was already doing things this whole other way, and the standards group would say, "All right, we're going to lock everything down and be very restrictive and formal. Here's the new way to do it." And everyone basically just said, "Uh, no." It actually so had a had a transitional DTD. Like it wasn't that oh, yeah. hard and fast. <laughs> that, but that I, I think the Mag App Store is more like uh, it's all going to be S expressions. Like, you know, forget about all those attributes and tags. Like it's just so so limited. But the limitations of the Mac App Store, like. 
I, I really feel like they express what Apple wishes Mac software development was like. They don't match the reality of of what Mac app, uh, software development actually is like, and I don't think they also are enough of an overlap with what users actually want. I think applications like Audio Hijack fill a need for people who want that type of application. Like, this is great. It makes me happy that I have my Mac because this Mac can do this amazing thing with this application that like lets me use my Mac to do interesting things. But that can't fit within the guidelines of the Mac App Store. So, I, you know, history has shown so far that Apple has been really good about like, well, we'll have this Mac App Store where we, we show you what we want to be, but we're not going to stop you from loading crap. Like, we'll do everything they can with like developer IDs and, and the, the what is it called, gatekeeper thing. And they even have like the gatekeeper setting toggle back from the insecure one to the secure one. If you like turn, turn on the insecure mode for a second and you forget about it and you don't launch an app that wouldn't be allowed, like it toggles back. Like, they're trying to do everything they can while allowing power users to do what they want. But still, they just want everything to be kind of herded over there. Um, and eventually, they're just going to come up against these hard things of like, what if, you know, they should go through the exercise and say, what if you really did want everything to be in the Mac App Store, but now you couldn't have Photoshop anymore? Uh, how would you square that circle? What would you do to deal with it? You'd obviously have to do something because you're not going to say like, well, tough luck. Adobe's got to rewrite their application so it fits in the Mac App Store. Like they would they would figure out, hey, Adobe, what do you need to get like, and they just don't seem to to extend that sort of uh, effort to these smaller applications. And so we're left in the situation where most Mac software that people really like and care about is either not in the Mac App Store or not in the Mac App Store only. And more and more software that people do care about is leaving the Mac App Store because it's too much of a hassle to be there. And I don't think this is bad software, like Panic's applications. You know, talk about the poster child for like doing things the Apple way. They're practically a miniature Apple. Even they can't stick it out in some cases for the Mac App Store for their applications because it's just too darn much of a hassle. Uh, did, they, did they leave the App Store or did they just get rid of the iCloud thing? I forget. I think they just did their own sync service because they couldn't handle the iCloud thing. Um, maybe they did leave for one of them. I don't remember. I think, I, I think anyway, you know, the, the fact is, like, the Mac App Store has been, a, I, I think, a colossal failure. I mean, it, it, not a level of ping, but not, <laughs> but honestly not that far off in, in just, like, how much people are using it these days, how relevant it is, how much it is really not at all the future of, of app deployment and, and sales on the Mac. I mean, it again, it's not as bad as Ping, but I don't feel like it's that far off. It, it really is terrible. It really has been a huge failure. And it seems like it seems like there are lots of uh, forces within Apple and, and you know, some of it just like inertia. Some of it might be politics. I don't know. I don't know the, in, the internals, but... Uh, it just seems like whatever forces got it to that state where it's in now, where Apple just tried to rule with such an iron fist, especially with sandboxing um, coming in after the fact, which really hurt things. Uh, you know, just ruling with such an iron fist there that everyone really just left. And like now, as, as a consumer, we've tipped the point where like I used to when when it, when it first came out, I used to buy as many things there as I could because then I wouldn't have to deal with serial numbers or anything. I I knew I could install it like on my laptop and my desktop, and it wouldn't give me crap. Um, but what what has happened since then is enough big apps have left it that now I'm afraid to buy anything there. Now, if something's available in or out of the app store, I'll buy it out of the app store by default now. So, like, I and I feel like I, I bet that's happened to a lot of people. Like, as soon as that happens to you once, mm -hmm. for like an app you bought in the app store then leaves the app store, I think as soon as that happens to you once, you're very likely to to switch in that way, the way I did. 
Yeah, and, there's still a barrier, though, to buying outside the App Store for normals, right? For, for regular people, like, there's a reason everyone loves the iOS App Store. Like, you just click, click, oh, you got a thing. Like, especially because so many people have iTunes accounts, the credit card is already there. Like, the benefits are there for regular people. It's a, it's a luxury that we have to be like, oh, uh, I know what to do when I get burned in this way. Because I think regular people do get burned. And by the way, CMF in the chat room pointed out that Coda 2 is the one I was thinking of, is out of the Mac App Store. What about all those people who bought Coda on the Mac App Store? And now it's out of it. Like they have the frustration. They're in the situation, but are all of them ready to go know which website to go to and uh, know how to buy it online and deal with the, the serial numbers and do it like we're OK with that because that's the way it was for the longest time. But for people who are sort of came into computers in the in the iOS app store age, they're used to just going someplace and clicking a thing and getting the application and just having it there like. The, those benefits are still there. And, and you mentioned like them ruling with an iron fist in the Mac app store. I think the problem is that they, it, it wasn't that they're ruling with iron fist. They have the carrot and the stick, right? And the stick was sort of floppy and non-existent because bottom line, you didn't have to buy through the Mac <laughs> app store. You can get your stuff. So the stick is barely there. Like they don't really have much of a stick to make people be in the Mac app store as evidenced by all the people leaving it. Right. And the carrot, was kind of a rotten crappy carrot too so there was no real stick to force people to be there and no real carrot for you like this is why you should be in it in the beginning it seemed like there was a carrot hey people are excited by the mac app store i got to be there to get the sales but as it kind of fizzled the carrot is looking less appealing and like there basically is no stick like even for regular people if anyone has a mac and knows how to buy software for it at all like you can Google and find something and something like it. it's difficult, but it's no more difficult than it was before the app store. It's exactly as difficult. And before the Mac app store existed, people made money selling software for the Mac somehow that it wasn't a mass market like iOS. It wasn't something that everybody did. You know, the number of people who owned Macs and who bought software for it was much smaller than the number of people who had iOS devices and install apps. Everyone who's got an iOS device is just having around that app store installing something. Right. Even if it's just a Facebook app. Right. But it was still a viable business. So it seems like we're slowly reverting to that, where the Mac App Store is filled with the few apps that can now that can still fit within its guidelines. And again, like Coda and Panic. When Panic can't get their app on your thing, like they're like the most conscientious, like made in Apple's image, all the similar like quality and wanting to do the right thing. And they struggled with a really long time with sandboxing with their application, trying to make a go of it, working with Apple for like a year, two years. Like if they can't make a go of it, like that's like what hope is there for anybody else? Because they're not Coda is not like a, you know, an application that's injecting code into the finder to put badges on icons. Like it's an IDE for web development for crying out loud. And you can't have that. Is that outside the realm of things you can have on the Mac now? Well, Xcode's in the Mac App Store. Not that, that counts. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the best thing. Like, you know, Apple can put stuff in the Mac App Store, does whatever the hell it wants because yep. the rules don't apply to Apple. But, and which is part of the problem. I mean, that's part of the problem with both App Stores, but especially the Mac one is that they don't dog food most of these things. So it's really, uh, it's a disaster. Well, and, and even as users. So not only am I now disincentivized from buying things there that are out, that are available elsewhere, but in recent times, I don't even look there anymore because so many great apps are not available there. And it only takes a couple of times you're looking for an app before you kind of develop that pattern of, you know, I now have to, now I have to look in the App Store and out of the App Store. Like on iOS, it's great. You can just look in one place and you can see this is everything available for this platform. For the Mac, it was never that way. But at least when it was when it started, we you could tell like it's going this way. And there were there was more stuff there, it seemed like. Now it's like if I want an app to do X, I have to search 
for you know I have to search in the Mac App Store and then I also have to do a web search and I yeah, also have the, to find it's like, like the bad old days when you just right. like you didn't have one place to look like this again this this is something that should be an advantage for the Mac App Store and it's just it's just not enough it's just not enough of a carrot like that's why people were in in the beginning well I'll be findable people don't even know that a website exists like yeah, people don't know where to even start to get Mac App Store uh, to get Mac software but hey here's a place to start it's right at the top of the Apple menu let me just go there uh, and like I think I fear what's happening now is. People go to that item at the top of the, of the Apple menu, and they think that's all there is for the platform. Like that's a natural thing to think. If you are someone who like came to the Mac from iOS or whatever, oh, I guess these are all the things I can get for the Mac. Maybe someone might have heard of Photoshop and go, "Where's Photoshop? Isn't that? A, I've heard of that. Isn't that not that? I guess the casual people wouldn't buy Photoshop because it's an expensive application. But uh, or I guess Microsoft Office too. Is that in the Mac App Store? I forget. I think it might be actually. Yeah. But anyway, like some things are still outside of it. Um, and there are applications that, you know, like Apple applications that don't have to abide by the rules. But like that would be the worst thing. Like if you if you get a Mac and and think that the stuff on the Mac App Store is the extent of what you can do with a Mac, like you're just missing out on, on, on too much stuff. You know, is Dropbox in the Mac App Store? Maybe it is now that they have the uh, the icon badging thing. But certainly in the old days. That Dropbox couldn't be on the Mac App Store because it injected code into the Finder. Not going to be on the Mac App Store. If you thought that you got a Mac and you couldn't get Dropbox, like I went to the Mac App Store and I couldn't find Dropbox. Is that not a thing on the Mac? Like, Because I've heard my friends talk about it and they said I should get it, but I don't see it anywhere. Right. And, and like, first of all, little aside here, Dropbox for me has never worked worse than it does on Yosemite. It is net because that, when they added that integration, the, the Finder integration with the extension point so they don't have to inject code, it's buggy as hell. It's so buggy. I con- and I, I tweeted about this, and a bunch of people said they see the same thing. I constantly have issues where a file will be updated, uh, uh, you know, remotely from somewhere else. Often it's like our shared folder when you guys upload your audio. Uh, a file will be upda- upla- updated, and it in Finder in Finder Windows it will lose its badge, and it'll be the old file name, not the new one. So a a basically a ghost file file name will appear to be there. And if you go into terminal and you ls it, it shows the correct contents. But in the Finder window, it's showing stale contents, and it will still show an old file, and a new file won't show up until you relaunch Finder. In which case, it'll be fixed for twenty minutes, maybe. So many people have reported that they have the same problem. Old Dropbox never had that problem. Like it, it, this is yet another thing. It's like they ugh, high ground. Anyway. <laughs> Haxies, man. Haxies, uh, like, that's that's the thing about the whole, like, injecting memory into another process. Yeah, I know. Right? The applications that become popular that do that necessarily have to be the ones written by people who really know the ins and outs. Not that, again, I'm, that I'm recommending this. It's a crazy practice or whatever, but how did Haxies, how, how were Haxies a thing for so long? Unsanity, this company, making these products that just, like, did terrible things to your system. How did that work at all? How did they ever become popular? It's because the people who made them were able to find ways to do them that would that would actually work for a large number of people, which is incredibly hard. It is not a scalable way to do development, but it kind of weeds out all the people who wanted to find hacky ways to do stuff who didn't know every little intricate detail because they would just crash your system and you would never use them. <laughs> and so the people who did Dropbox, I think there was a presentation on this, went to the heroic efforts to figure out how to safely patch the Finder, which is a terrible way to do this, and an official API is better, but it was entirely in their hands to figure out how to do this, whereas now you're cooperating with Apple and Apple's Finder team on we'll make this api and you can use it and you know what it's like with apple APIs. the first release that it's out in there are bugs it doesn't work right or whatever you're hoping the next year it will they'll will fix the bugs and like you know in el capitan this this new api will work better or whatever but 
maybe not maybe it's not a big priority for them so i don't i don't know what kind of hope there is for this getting less buggy for you i haven't had as, as many problems as you described for it but i have seen situations where like what i get usually is like that the badges don't appear i'm like doesn't this have integration isn't it supposed to be officially mm, yeah. yeah why it's do the i same see bug really why, where do i see no badges like, is it even working? And then, like, the context menu is the same thing. Like, yeah. I think there was an official API for that before. Anyway, uh, real-time follow from the chat room. Dropbox is not in the Mac App Store. I did a search for Dropbox in the Mac App Store. I get a screen full of results that say things like app drive for Dropbox, app for Dropbox, app for <laughs> Dropbox, menu, drop for Dropbox, drag share for Dropbox, app for Dropbox, oh instant app for Dropbox, instant app for Dropbox, plus Swift drop for Dropbox. <laughs> anyway, search in the App Store. And Apple's uh, decision to let everything in but draw no distinction. Like, I don't even know what these things are, but I fear for someone saying they want Dropbox. And these have prices, $299, $299, $499. Uh, I don't think there's any free. Oh, there's a couple of free ones here and there. Drop Light for Dropbox, DVR Webcam Dropbox, Revisions for Dropbox. I fear for someone <laughs> thinking the Mac App Store is where you get applications. I've heard of this thing called Dropbox. Let me go find it. Face with this screen? Pff, I don't know what they would do. But they certainly wouldn't get Dropbox, I can tell you that, because it's not here. Right. Well, and that's, that's exactly the thing. It only takes a couple of times of searching for something that you know is out there and not finding it in the Mac App Store before you just stop looking in the Mac App Store. Or you download half of these, because they all have, obviously, they all have Dropbox icon. Like, they all have a little box that is either an exact copy of the Dropbox icon or someone trying to redraw the Dropbox. <laughs> like, oh, it's so bad. Um, yeah. App Store search is a whole other can of worms. Yeah. So things are going really well in the Mac App Store, then. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, we sh and we should mention Craig Hockenberry's recent. Yeah, I was going to say just so we can just so we can put it in the show notes. Someone mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll definitely, definitely read this because uh, it's like you know because one of the problems with the Mac App Store and Mac development in general is, is not only that there's all these you know policy issues and ruling with the iron fist and their floppy carrot and lack of stick, but also it's like they're ruling with a neglectful iron fist, like they don't even care and so much so many luxuries that that ios developers get or new features that ios developers get from things like itunes connect icloud apis so many of them don't come to the mac at all or come very late to the mac and like craig cites examples of like test flight builds and stuff like that where it's just like this stuff is like and usually it's promised for mac it's like oh mac will have it soon and just hardly ever gets there or gets there very late or whatever and yeah it just it, obviously the Mac API-wise, development-wise, and Mac services for developers, obviously these things are not incredibly high priorities at Apple. Because if they were, you know, it, it, regardless of what Apple says, and regardless of what we hear from, from like, you know, hardworking people inside the company who are in the, in the middle of the, of the hierarchy somewhere, uh, regardless of that, we can just tell by their actions. You can tell by their results that this is, you know, this is not the priority. iOS is the priority. iOS has way more users, brings in way more money, is way more high profile. Obviously, that's that's the higher priority. And I can't really fault them for that, but it's unfortunate as Mac users, and it's even more unfortunate if you're a Mac developer, uh, that, you, that you're really on what used to be the thing Apple cared so much about and now is clearly, you know, third or fourth priority these days. The one that hurts the most is where they did the thing where they disabled uh, uh, app reviews from beta versions of iOS. Yeah, but not on the Mac. They didn't do it on the Mac. Like, <laughs> that's not a hard... I, I don't want to say, oh, that's so easy to do. But look, they, they dedicated the resources to do it on iOS. That feels like the type of thing, just to save face, you would like, can we do that for the Mac users too? Is it that big a deal? Maybe they will do it eventually. Maybe it takes longer to patch the Mac App Store application. Maybe there's no one working on the Mac App Store application. I don't know what the details are, but th that one really hurts. Because like, 
everyone's so excited. Hey, people can review. Never mind that it's kind of like a little too little, a little too late because already betas are in people's hands and they were writing reviews. But they fixed it, right? Not for Mac users. Sorry, you don't even get that. You don't even get what you think is probably like the lowest effort type of. Nope, just not not a priority at all. And like a lot, for, in some respects, like the Craig Hagenberg thing is coming at it from the perspective of a Mac developer. And as people have always said, like Apple cares about Apple first, users second, developers third or later. It's a reasonable prioritization. So it's like a lot of times developers want things from Apple that Apple doesn't give them because of, because they think it's more important for users to have something or for Apple to have something. But this is a case of developer versus developer. It's comparing what is it like if you're developing for Apple's most popular platform or developing for Apple's second most popular platform. And it's a hell of a drop off going to the second most popular. <laughs> and we'll see what happens if suddenly the watch becomes the second most popular one. Then you're then you're developing for the third most popular. Not good. Yeah, I honestly. Yeah, I'm not sure that'll happen, but that's another show. And either way, remember, just a couple of years ago, years ago, we came back to the Mac. So things are fine. Don't We're worry back. about it. Yeah, everything's great. I, I mean, I think they did do are doing better with uh, API parity because so many APIs yes. appear in both like extensions API that did come out at the, at the same time in both. Which is kind of when that happens, it's like it's like a boost to the Mac because like, oh, I wouldn't expect that. I would expect it to be iOS first and Mac second. When it comes out simultaneously, you're like, wow, the Mac really got a boost there. But that's a user facing feature. It's not a developer facing feature. And so, yeah, the there is a priority cascade and it does still affect things. But yeah. And, and I would not hold out any hope for improvements to the Mac App Store. I mean, like the, the beta thing you said, like, you know, like not allowing people to review from betas. Uh, look, just look at the state of the Mac App Store application itself. Just, just try to use it for anything. Try to do anything in it. Try to browse anything. Obviously, doing anything to this app is, it, it must be extraordinarily difficult and impossible inside Apple to get anything done inside this app. Because I, don't, it I just happen. think there's a lot of people working on it, though. I think, like, the underlying frameworks probably have people working on them. Like, the things that, you know, again, was tell you, like, you can you can run updates from the application then close the application entirely, but the updates still run because there are, like, processes and demons behind the scene that manage software updates. Those, I think, are being worked on because they, they you know, they do the OS updates and they do app updates. To them. I think there's people working on those. But sort of the gooey skin that provides like the view into the store and does all that, that seems like I don't think I can't remember the last time a new feature appeared in that. Maybe they have someone fixing the most egregious bugs. It just seems like no one's working on it. I, I, I can honestly say it's worse than iTunes. It has many of the same problems and challenges of iTunes of of, you know, having this this giant web service rendering what's basically a big web view in the app. Is uh, it a web view or is it like XML like the iTunes store used to be? Remember um, when the iTunes store know, was like actually. custom XML? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it it might be that. It feels like a big web view. It behaves like a big web view. It could be like what are the what is that thing that they bought for iOS like Chomp or whatever, like the thing that when they redid <laughs> the, the regular app store. Like Oh yeah, when they when they made the search suck even more by having those big cards that don't let you see one app at a time on screen. That was great. Yeah. Anyway, we shouldn't be trying to guess what the underlying technologies <laughs> are. Who cares? We just know the end result is an application that does weird things and sometimes the only solution is to like close it and relaunch it or to restart your Mac, and that's not good. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, Igloo, Squarespace, and Need. And we will see you next week. So what else is going on? I joined a gym. You joined a gym? I joined a gym. What are you going to do with the gym? It's going to lift heavy things. I haven't done that yet. I probably won't. It's going to run in place like a hamster in a wheel. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. I have walked really fast in place, though. Does that count? Like, like a, like a, like a hamster that's hamster. not in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. Like a hamster who's like reading his iPhone.
How does that work with the official Marco wardrobe? What do you mean? It, I wear shirts there, and I, then I wear black them t-shirt. Home, but, yeah, uh, he's got. I'm sure. Do you have uh, shorts as part of the wardrobe? In the summertime, yes, I do wear shorts because it's just too, it's way too hot for pants in the summertime, and I don't like. I really hate shorts, honestly. But uh, but I own shorts because I live somewhere with with summer. Hmm. That's a season you do have, Casey. Yep. So you're doing this to fill your circles? I am. Yeah. I mean that you know I would like to generally stay healthy you know but but yes essentially it really is just for the circles. So uh, with all this, with all the circling in the gym, are you like dropping pounds? Some, yeah. I'm I'm down. I don't know, like six pounds and for like the two months or something. I don't know. I'm down some. It's not a it's not a dramatic thing because I, I, I'm still eating ice cream. But it's the it's the <laughs> apple it's the Apple Watch versus Blue Apron. Blue yeah, Apron's right. fine. No, Blue Apron is is actually great because it's it's pretty small portions. Um, it, it, it's ever since we started that, it's been actually easier to, to be healthy and lose weight because it is so, uh, it's just, it's, you know, a, a dinner from Blue Apron, even if you add more oil than they tell you to, because you have to add more oil than they tell you to, because the amount they tell you to is not nearly enough to fry those vegetables. Uh, even if you add more oil than they tell you to, you're still under a thousand calories for dinner and that's pretty good. So anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I joined the gym because, I live in an area with a great variety of weather, and a good portion of that weather is not that pleasant to be walking very quickly for three miles outside, so uh, I I joined earlier this week when it was like 90 degrees one day and in a billion percent humidity, and I joined during that day, and it's like 10 bucks a month for what's basically the worst gym in the world, but I don't care because it's 10 bucks a month, and that means I don't have to buy a treadmill and put it in the house anywhere. You're scoping out the gym people? You're doing some people watching, seeing the varieties of people that show up at the gym? In my two visits to the gym so far, um, I have not seen that many other people, honestly. It, it's It's a pretty big gym, and I go at weird times when everyone else is working, so it's I go when it's almost empty. Um, so I've seen a handful of people and I just kind of look straight ahead and look at, I watch my iPhone stuff. And You're watching a video on your iPod? You're reading things? You're listening to podcasts? I haven't quite figured all this out yet. Uh, the first, the first, I, again, I've only gone twice. This was this week <laughs> so, and it's been nice other days this week. So I've been doing, I've been walking outside other days this week. Uh, but, uh, the first time I did podcasts and it was, it was kind of boring cause like I'm fine doing podcasts when I walk outside cause like visually I'm amused by the outside world. But when you're just like walking on a treadmill, staring at bad cable TV that you're not listening to, you're listening to podcasts, it's kind of boring. Um, so the last time I went, I did, I watched uh, Nevin's CocoConf talk. Uh, that was really good. And uh, I'll link to that in the show notes, I guess. Um, so I wa- and that was like, that was an hour long. So that was perfect. So maybe this might actually be a good time to watch conference talks um, and do other things that, that are, that have a visual component. I need to get you some VR goggles. Uh, I don't know about that. Hey, does have you either of you guys ever used a treadmill before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does the thing where you have like vertigo after you get off, does that ever go away? What? I can't say that I got that one. Uh, Maybe yeah. you're just getting lightheaded because you're uh it's only your second day at the gym. <laughs> no. No, maybe it's because you're looking at the screen and not paying attention yeah, to Yeah, maybe you're getting motion you? sick. Well, yeah, it's it's like when I'm on it I'm fine, but then it, if I stop and I've tried like slowing it down gradually, but but it doesn't really matter. Whenever I stop, I feel like I've gotten off a boat. You're like, whoa, you know, like I feel, yeah, I don't feel great for a few minutes afterwards. You might be getting motion sick. I mean, it seems like it's a form of motion sickness where it's, I don't know, people yeah. in the chat are saying you get used to it. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I the times I've been in a treadmill, I haven't been staring at an iPhone in front of me, right? Exactly. So, like, so I don't know what the, maybe that is a common thing if you're especially if you're like the difference between like the iPhone in front of you and the TV across the room. I think is a big difference in terms of like well, where, it's where the problem is it's a TV on your treadmill right in front of you. Oh, so yeah, and I've tried looking at bad. the ceiling, looking across the room. Like I've tried other other things like that, and it doesn't it doesn't really seem to make that big of a difference. Um, like where I'm looking at just like I'm running, so my body thinks I'm moving forward, so it, or my brain thinks I'm moving forward, so I'm, so it's probably compensating for that. And then when I stop walking in place, <laughs> then then it's like it has to like switch back to the uncompensated mode, and I think that's what causes that. But. So if you had VR goggles, as you walked, you'd be moving through, you could be moving through a forest, a virtual forest, while a virtual screen floats in front of you. So you can watch <laughs> Nevin's conference talk while walking through a virtual Yosemite. I could do that. Or it's I could just like, use the bikes and ellipticals instead. I don't know. Or you just walk outside. I'm amazed that you hate humidity so much <laughs> that you'd rather walk in. Like people usually go to the gym like in the winter when, you know, it's freezing well, outside. And that's, I've, I knew like, you know, I got the Apple Watch in late April when it was really beautiful outside and it's been pretty beautiful since then. But I've known like, well, winter's going to come eventually and I'm going to like, I want to keep this up in the winter and winter here is pretty bad. Not as bad as you, but, but pretty bad. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to uh, have some kind of option. And I looked into like, you know, should I get a treadmill in my house? And there's, it seems like there's almost no reason for a regular person to do that. Um, there's like the, the if you need the, someplace the, to the hang and laundry. And, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it ends up they're huge. Like I, I know they're giant. Turns out, oh my god! Like when you're when they're in a gym, you don't you really realize it, but like. When you when you like tape out measurements in your house of how big a treadmill actually is, oh my god, they're, they're and massive. not just how room how much room it takes up, but especially for the ones that like if they're like a stair thing or whatever, like how much room you need around them for yeah, swing yeah. swinging body parts and getting on and getting off, and then if the thing has move moving itself, yeah, for the winter activity maybe you have almost the makings. Well, maybe not for you, maybe for Adam. If you could get hops and the other two dogs that your parents have. You could have the makings of a kind of like a dog sled team. You just need to be <laughs> like, maybe they could pull Adam. If you just get four of them instead of three, then it would be even. That would be adorable. Oh, my God. That's way better than buying a treadmill. Yeah. So now that I put that idea into your head, I want to see some pictures of that. All right. Well, we'll work it out. Because <laughs> there's one thing that that breed of dog does well is pull in the same direction, right? <laughs> You're going to run in five different directions. Boing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you can't exercise outside in the winter. People do it. Oh, yeah. Spe but... Speaking of rogue amoeba, Paul Kafasis is out there with his bare feet in 20 degree below weather. That Paul Kafasis is not a fair comparison. He's like a superhuman. That's it is true. not it is not fair to to hold me up to his standard at all. Not even close. You you'll get there eventually. I just I cannot believe like when you saw the watch announcement, was the first thing that popped in your head, darn it, I'm going to join a gym. I mean, I know Not that, even close. I know, right. It, like, how did we get from A Doesn't to B? Doesn't have the antibodies. He was yeah, infected. You're right. Because right. even like when, when, when we first started seeing good pictures of it, I was concerned seeing the sensor bubble on the bottom. And I, I was concerned that would be uncomfortable pressing into my skin. So I even have said in the past, like before I, before I got it, I was like, you know, if they just made a model that lacked all the fitness features and lacked that big bubble on the bottom, I'd buy that instead. So it'd be more comfortable. And yeah, now now that I have it, no, I would never do that. that I'm depressed stupid. at how strong my antibodies are and how little I care about the circles. I really wished I was more <laughs> like Marco. I really, I was like, maybe, maybe it's got Marco's got into it. Maybe uh, you know, I haven't done anything like this in a while. Maybe I'll still get back into it. It's just, God, I just can't. We can start competing with each other. Do you have those antibodies or whatever? 
maybe that would help. Like they, Apple doesn't really have that integration. You have to use like yeah. some third party app that keeps track of it. That's a uh, underscore should add that to pedometer plus plus if it's not already there, like a competition. Maybe that actually would help, but I don't know. Um, well, one of the problems also is that even in WatchKit 2, a lot of the data for the for the circles, like you, I don't think apps have access to all that. Like they, ha- you have access to the step count for the for the uh, orange circle, but I don't think you have access to the green or blue. Yeah, the step count is enough though. You can see like uh, uh, Amy Jane and Montero like competing for their just with their Fitbit step counts. I think that all is in the Fitbit is just step count. You know how many steps yeah, that so. like that confidence that does motivate a, a lot of people. Maybe that would help. Like I'm not doing terrible with the circles. When it tells me to get up, I do feel a little bit of guilt. Like, oh, I should probably get up and go for a walk now or whatever. But the bottom line is I'm not filling them. Like, and, and my my whatever value of all my circles are at, it's low. I was filling them all at WWDC. Like, I know what it takes to fill them, uh, but my daily schedule just does not do enough to fill them, at least when my watch is on. Because I t- tend to find when I come home from work, I want to take my watch off just because I just want to get stuff off my body. Um, and totally then, naked, just... <laughs> well, you know, like my house doesn't have air conditioning, so I'm certainly uh, changing its shorts uh, and uh, yeah, getting into uh, home mode. And that involves taking the watch off. And so that means anything I do after that, like walking around with the kids or whatever, is going to not count. But I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> you do. You, to- you care. You care just enough to be annoying to yourself, but not mm-hmm. enough to actually do it. Yeah, to feel like a little twinge of guilt when yeah. I don't fill them, but not enough to actually fill yeah. them. Yeah, like you're just going to be perpetually mildly annoyed by this. Yeah, I tell you what, problem. I tell you what, I am a uh, blue ring stud, but the <laughs> uh, the green and red, not so much. The green is the the hardest one. I think I basically yeah. I think I filled the other ones, but the exercise one because like I don't quite know. What, I never I have never actually initiated like a workout workout. So all of my green filling is I guess incidental from heart rate stuff, and I don't even know how that works. Like whatever, but I'm just never filling it, except for WWC. I actually I I stopped initiating workouts uh, right right at, right after WWC actually because I I learned that. At WWDC, uh, when I just never turned it on and I kept filling the, filling the ring anyway, just from fast walking between the hotel and the conference center, um, I I learned that if you if you don't activate the workout, it tends to smooth it out more and give you a little more benefit of the doubt. Like the workout mode, whatever, it's very dependent on how tight the watch fits and whether the sensor is dirty or cloudy from sweat or oil uh, or whether it's wet from sweat or anything. And so if you're actually doing a workout... You can, I've gotten pretty inconsistent measurements where I've, I've said this before. You know, one minute you'd have like you know heart rate of one fifty, and the next minute it's sixty, and then it's back to one fifty. It's like obviously that sixty was like a mismeasurement in the middle there, um, and it's it's kind of odd and it's very unforgiving. Whereas the if you don't activate a workout, it just samples you every few minutes, and then it seems to do some kind of smoothing between them, uh, so that it, I have found that it counts it much more accurately and much more fairly. In, in those big chunks when it's smoothing between multiple measurements as opposed to doing like the minute by minute uh, in the workout. So yeah. I, I find it actually counts more exercise minutes for me when you're not doing the workout mode. I think I also need to get the sport band, which I can't bring myself to spend $50 for a piece of rubber. But the, a part of the reason is like I don't wear it on weekends because if we, if we all ride our bikes to the lake and go swimming, we don't count that bike ride. The swimming doesn't count if, if I go in the water. Because I don't have my watch on, because I have the leather band, and I'm not going to put the leather band in the water, right? So, well, I mean, like I, when I when I use the leather band full time, I I, w- I mean, I wouldn't go swimming with it, but I would like exercise with it because it was the only band I had, and it was fine. Like, I mean, granted, that wasn't I wasn't doing that for very long before I switched to the sport band, but 
And now I have yeah. my black link, which is amazing. But I will I'll get back to that sometime. I, I keep meaning to, to write a review. Yeah, I think my biggest challenge with the Apple Watch is still that I'm just not a watch person. And so I make myself wear it to work when I can remember. But I'm like, I'm like 50%, maybe 60% at remembering. Very often I get into my car and I'm driving down the road. I'm like, damn, I forgot to put it on again. Uh, but I wore it today, but I took it off when I got home. Yeah. I so mean, look, if, try the sport band, because honestly, the, the sport band is way better than I thought it was. It, yeah, like, I've, I've tried it out. I put it on. I, I don't have any objections to it. It's just that I never like $50, and then I just don't yeah. go and click on the Marco, I'll, I'll don't you one. have 100 of them? Why don't you just send John one? Well, I only have one sport band. Oh, I thought you had like 150 of each flavor. No, he sells the old one to get the new ones. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a you know revolving door of watch bands at his house, but they don't stay. Yeah, well, and I'm going to so now like I'm I'm planning on writing my big watch review at some point uh, soon, and cause, like now because now that I've used the black link for uh, you know at least a few weeks, so now I I know it pretty well, um, and now now that Tiff has the modern buckle and I have the link, I believe I can speak for every band, right? Because I had, yeah, I I've I have at least briefly owned all of the bands. Now, what is the current stable at the Armand household? Of bands that we have in the house. Mm-hmm. All right, so Tiff's watch has the modern buckle always on it. It's the only one we have for that size. It's a thirty-eight. Um, I have the forty-two millimeter, so I have the black link, uh, the classic buckle, and the sport band. And in the past, I have owned the Milanese loop, um, and uh, that's it. and and the leather loop. Yeah, I have I have had both of those. And both and both for only brief periods, but but I, I still I still wore them for uh, like a, a day and a half at least. Millionaires I got a few days out of leather loop. I got like a day and a half before I was like, screw this, I'm done with this. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, good stuff. I have not lived with the uh, with the regular steel link, but I, the the black link is so close that it's good enough. Hmm. Uh. To completely change pace, how's potty training going? It's going actually. Yeah, oh, good. It's, it's not complete, uh, but but it's going. And uh, you know, like I mentioned in the past, like we kept uh, we kept like starting to do it, and then it just he just wasn't ready, and it would just fail miserably. Uh, and then so we'd like you know give up for a couple of weeks, try again. Uh, this time it just stuck. Like our strategy of basically like waiting until it's almost embarrassingly late uh, has paid off pretty well in that. You know, now he's just he's ready now, and it's really easy. So good stuff. Uh, are they, is he afraid of he's going to daycare? But if he is, are they reinforcing it there? Yeah. So he he goes to preschool, and it's the kind of preschool that can change diapers. Uh, like some of them can't; they don't have the right license, but this one can. And so we were able to do the whole transition. And he's going now to summer camp, which is just school in the summertime uh, at the same school. <laughs> so we were able to do this transition with their support and they do it all the time because they have school for two and three year olds. So like they, they have seen lots of potty training uh, in their time and they're experts at it. So they support it and they, you know, they, you know, they do it while he's there. So it's good. We're all good. Are they doing any positive feedback stuff like sticker charts or anything like that? Like either at home or at school to try to like reward for, uh, for uh, compliance, basically. Sticker. I, I had not thought of a sticker chart. That's a good uh, one. That's one of the things that our kids did. They recommended it at home. But like, it oh, doesn't work on some kids or whatever. But like, you just have a piece of paper, and it's like every time you do it, you get a sticker on the chart, and some kids are motivated by, motivated by it, and some kids aren't. Oh, I just didn't know if that was one of the things that you were doing. No, we, we've just been doing like food motivation, <laughs> basically like candy <laughs> and cookies and stuff. 
we very quickly learned uh, that you can't reward going to the bathroom. You have to reward like time spans in which you have not had no accidents. Because if you reward going to the bathroom, then he just wants to go every five minutes. <laughs> he goes, oh, I, I got two drops out and give me a jelly bean. That's, nice. Yeah, so that's that's no good. So <laughs> to go back a step, you've basically outsourced potty training to the summer camp is what I'm hearing? Well, he's there for like two and a half hours a day. I mean, it's not like <laughs> <laughs> camp is a very, you know, it's technically called camp. That's a very generous word for, for what it really is. It's just preschool in the summertime and it's mostly outside. And that's <laughs> that's basically it. And preschool, as you will learn soon, Casey, is really short every day. <laughs> like it's it goes that two and a half hours goes by very quickly. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, it's uh it's been a wild uh couple of weeks at the List household because Declan has gone from sort of kind of able to crawl ish to pretty adept at crawling. And he used to, up until this point, barrel roll um pretty effectively that's awesome uh, do a barrel roll um that's a reference john uh, anyway so he would barrel barrel roll pretty effectively and then he'd figured out how to crawl and now our world is upside down because he doesn't just stay still anymore and uh, <laughs> that's kind of petrifying and additionally he's also starting to pull up onto his feet which is adorable to watch and wonderful except that he's also um he's also doing that in the crib which is not as good because then he gets himself all uh, woken up and doesn't want to sleep as long and we have to lower the crib again and blah, blah, blah. So a uh, wild couple of couple of weeks at the list house. My, my favorite picture of Declan recently was showing him next to your computer with the note that uh, that he'd already pulled off a keycap. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was like, genuinely, it, wow. had been, it had been like 15 seconds and he crawled over there, ripped off a key. It's, it's, it's the great dawning realization that like the idea like when we have a kid he won't destroy our, destroy our crap like the second that kid can move he's like i'm gonna destroy your crap yep that's pretty much how <laughs> we can seek out the most expensive item and say i can get my little baby fingernails underneath this keycap look it comes off this is awesome it's like i looked away for two seconds yeah that's pretty much it. were you there that's exactly how it went i know i know how kids work i just you to your credit you were not one of the people who i, I who looked down on the other people and said well my child won't destroy my stuff i'll just make sure they don't touch my things and it's like oh, there's a reason baby proofing is a word well so i'm not like that about most things however i have been very smug about my car never will my car will not get ruined I will not allow the, my car to get ruined. If that means no food in the car, screw it. No food in the car. Is there a car seat installed in your car now? Yes. Oh, there's been for a while. So isn't it destroying your seats as we speak? No, I have a cover. Uh, a cover. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've had similar good luck. I mean, you know, we we also like there just by policy, there's no food in the car. Like just and th- and that's been fine. Um, and and it, I think it helps that it's always been the policy, like from from day zero. Uh, oh. so that that helps, but also um. You know, we also have a policy that you don't kick my seat. And so far, <laughs> he, I mean, he, he sometimes forgets and kicks my seat anyway. And we have to yell at him. But so far, overall, it's pretty good. You know what I did with the the seat kicking? I, I, it really depends on your kid. I think you could pull off the seat kicking thing. My kid's not really. But uh, the thing I did with them, it lasted a pretty long time. I knew it wouldn't last forever, is that I told them that the seats have airbags in them, which is true. Uh, and that airbags contain explosives, which is true. And that if you kick the seats, you could cause them to explode, which is not true. But they don't know that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> actually, I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever actually told them that they cause. I would say 
the seats have airbags in them. The airbags have explosives. I think that's all I would say. And I would say it in an alarmed voice and they would stop kicking. And it was awesome. That worked for so long until they were like, you that's, know what? These things so are never exploding. Amazing. Kick, kick, kick. That's so amazing. <laughs> good grief. Adam's a good boy. You won't need to do that with Declan. I don't know. He looks like a scamp. I can't tell, but I think he's in <laughs> trouble, Casey. <laughs> well, we're, we're at the point now with Adam where like he, he is good the vast majority of the time. And he really is, from what I can tell, I mean, we don't have any other experience, but from what I can tell, he's a pretty easy kid. But when he's not easy, it's pretty impressive, like how not easy he can be sometimes. <laughs> when like, he is good, he is very, very good. But when he is bad, he is horrid. Did I get that one right? I don't know. Is that a reference? Yeah, it's I got this book. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, it's it's I mean, just like like the things that he will resist or fight us on when he's mad at us is is just hilarious. It's like, like the stupidest thing. Like he'll he'll fall asleep on his floor before going to his bed for the nap because he does because we told him to get into bed. He's like, no. Okay, well, yeah, it's it's interesting. I can't imagine that you would have a stubborn or pig-headed child, Marco. It just seems... No. <laughs> I'm sure your children are definitely not detail-oriented or picky. Uh, nope, nope. <laughs> I wish they cared more about spelling. <laughs> That's my wish. No, yeah, we're, we're not there yet, but... I, I, I can't wait to see Casey just go through all this, because it's, like, it's not like I'm any expert on it, but just, just by being, like two years ahead of him basically like that's like that's amazing to me like like seeing like seeing now casey like now you're going through like the beginning of mobility which is Mm -hmm. as you said terrifying (laughs) for the parents oh yeah and and yeah yeah you're you're gonna love this you're really gonna love this and it was not a children's book apparently it was a poem by henry wadsworth longfellow look at me being cultured and not even knowing it (laughs) wow because like the what's what's great about parenting is that Every time you think you have the current stage down pat, oh yeah, everything then changes with the next stage. It's like, so it's like, yeah, you know, we finally got him to, you know, eat and sleep. Oh my god, now he's moving. Yep. <laughs> and, oh my god, now he can hurt himself on every possible thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then you know, once you get that down, then he's gonna start learning how to open doors and <laughs> go outside. <laughs> Just- and then he'll get some attitude. Yeah, then, then he's going to get some attitude. Then, you know, then eventually, you know, you, you have everything down. And then, oh, delete the diapers. Now he's just going to be free balling in there. And you got to figure out what's going on <laughs> there. And, yeah, it's, just, oh, my God. Like, every everything is, like, you know, it, it, it's hard. And then you figure it out. And then everything changes. Yeah, that I've asked a lot of parents, um, most of whom are, you know, roughly my age, you know, what, what is there a secret? What have you learned? What should I know? And the single most consistent answer I've gotten almost every time is don't get used to anything because the moment you do, it all changes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, John, how's your front door? Do you have a front door yet? They are ordering a new one. Uh, so you'll have a front door in like three more months, maybe. Uh, two to three weeks or whatever. I- Hopefully they'll it'll happen between the vacation I'm leaving on now and the vacation I'm leaving on after. There's some time in between there. But anyway, people have been painting. How's that going? Mm, all right. <laughs> that well? I don't know what I don't, I have yet to find someone who does what I think is a good job of painting anything because it's all about surface prep. Like I, you know, they just they just they just want to get to the point where they can start slapping on the paint. It's like I want the surface to be smoothed out before you start slapping on the paint to think about how it's going to look when it's finished painting if it's not going to look good like well whatever i mean anyway the, generally the 
what we learned when we've only done both renovations uh you know tiff actually tiff can paint her and she learned like she and her parents can paint like the whole room you know no time at all it turns out professional painters are really no better than good you know home taught painters just you don't have to do it that's the big thing it's like you're not paying them to do a better job than you could do you're paying them so that you don't have to do it that's it uh, I, I I continue to believe there must be contractors out there like the ones on, I see on TV that do do a good job. And especially for things like surface prep, sometimes you can't do what they do because you don't have the tools. To, it depends on the surface. Like if you're painting a room, like big walls are big and flat, fine. But if you're painting like the trim around a window where you just pulled off storm windows from the 50s, they're a wreck. You have to spend a lot of time on surface prep, pulling off old caked on paint, filling in voids, sanding everything down so it's smooth. And I don't know that I could do a better job of that than a professional. It was mostly because I don't even have all the tools, all the little like just a plain old random orbit sander, but the little tiny sanders to get into the corners and all the, the experienced filling things. And, and like just that just takes a long time. Yeah, but like, they don't, I mean, you could buy the tools at Home Depot for like 30 uh, bucks. I mean, I, I, I mean, if given a limited time, yes, I could. But I would take the amount of time they took to do all my trim. I wouldn't get one window done. <laughs> I do a better job than they do on that one window, but I wouldn't get one window done because I'd be there. Like, and instead they're just like, you know what? Good enough. You're not going to be able to see it from the street. <laughs> paint, paint, paint. Well, exactly. That's the thing. Like, you're not paying for them to be do for them to do a better job than you could do. You're paying for them to do it so that you don't have to do it, and they can do it faster. <sighs> anyway, uh, almost done. Almost done. Front door. I think the front door is going to be the worst part, though, because there's a bunch of carpentry stuff around there, and it's just like it's been hand waved over, and we just say like, see how our front door looks now. We want to look like that, but with a new door. Uh, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I'm like, I keep asking them, so what part are you going to remove? And what are you going to put back? Oh, it's going to look like this. Well, not exactly. Like, what do you mean by now? Oh, it's going to be bad. Uh, but anyway, yeah. If there was ever a time that any human being should periscope anything, it's the conversations that you have with your contractors. Because they've got to be just amazing. They're very one-sided and involve a lot of nodding and smiling from the other end of the conversation. <laughs> me going, oh, yeah, just. They hate you so much, don't they? I don't know. I don't know if they hate me. I just, I, I, I don't know. I Do you tip them? <laughs> no. Wait, you're supposed I to tip, tip the contractors? That's what I thought. Just the not. amount I'm paying these people? No. <laughs> I, I, we didn't tip any of our contractors ever. We like we'd occasionally like buy bagels and stuff for the guys that were working, but like we wouldn't. I mean, yeah, you're you're paying a lot for this. It's like I don't yeah, think it's seriously. a tipping thing. This is a tremendous amount of money. They can take their tip out of the tremendous amount of money I'm paying for this project. Yeah, I don't like you don't you don't tip like when you buy a car. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's really an apples to apples comparison. It's about the same I, amount of money. I, I, full, I fully confess that I have no idea when it's appropriate to tip, but I also hate tipping as a concept, and so I am I'm probably a bad person. Uh, I, I, the places when I'm supposed to tip, I do, but I literally have no idea when I'm supposed to tip other than like eating at restaurants. That's it. And, uh, staying at hotels. I know you're supposed to do that there, but only because I Googled it. Wait, like, what? I never tip in a hotel. The housekeeping supposed tip. To, you're supposed to, yeah. It, Wait, say it again, Marco. The housekeeping tip. That's a, th how much is that? Good question. I have no idea. I, I, when I Googled for it, they were like a couple bucks a day, and that's what I've been. Yeah, it depends. To. Yeah. And then the problem what? is then you like, you need small bills. That, that's, you, you know, the little envelopes on the desk. It's that's there's, that's for housekeeping tips. Like the, in most hotel rooms, there's like there's a small envelope that what? says some kind of passive aggressive thing on it, and that is that is for you to put the housekeeping tip in. Because if you just leave cash around, then they might can, assume that's your cash. But you can, can leave it. it in there. Uh, you can you want to leave it, and even if you don't use the envelope, you just want to leave it with a note 
uh, you know, for housekeeping or thank you or something in a way that they know that you didn't accidentally leave it. Because housekeeping people don't want to take random cash laying around because then you're going to be like, hey, housekeeping stole from me. But like, right, when right. you're checking out, take the wad of cash, a couple bucks a day or whatever, put it somewhere with a note that makes it clear that this is for housekeeping, and then you go. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that in my entire life. Yeah, it's, it's a big pain because you either have to have, like, you know, if, let's say you're doing a few bucks a day or five bucks a day, you eat, then you either need to have a whole bunch of fives when you get there, or you have to, like, tip, like, a 20 at the end, but then, like, that could be a different person than who worked the last few yeah, days. I, so. I just do it all at the end. I don't do it every day because that's just too much of a hassle. Like, in my Googling, what I discovered, it's like, that if you do it all in one day, it evens out in the end for the people who work there. Like, you're right, it might not be the same person or whatever, but it's not as if one person has a line on when everybody's checking out and gets all the money. Like, it evens out across the whole. That's good, because you uh, usually I'll just, like, put a 20 in there on the last day and then call it, call it a day, but... This is lunacy to me. I've never See, heard of tipping before. is crazy. I hate it with a passion. I think <laughs> we just, they should just raise the prices for everything and pay people living wages and so on and so forth. Do you tip barbers? Yes, I do. Yeah. See, I do too. And so it was, it was actually a dilemma. So my barber, you know, usually I only have twenties because that's what ATMs give out. And whenever I have small bills, I hit when I, when I empty my pockets at night, they collect somewhere on my desk and I forget to put them back in the next morning. You should really only have fifties in your wallet. I feel like Marco with your M5 <laughs> lifestyle. No, I hate 50s. you. Should be a type of person who only has fifties, like a grandpa. No, in fact, my so the my ATM will give out fifties if you get over if you get two hundred dollars or more out. So I figured out that the most you can get out without getting any fifties is one eighty. So if, whenever I get cash now, I take out one eighty because that's then I'll get all twenties. Anyway, stupid. But. Um, so with the barber, I the barber I've been going to for years. It's these four Italian guys; they're amazing. Uh, they used to charge sixteen dollars for a haircut, so I'd give them twenty. They keep the extra four, perfect. Then they raised the price to seventeen dollars. So it's like now, like I don't want to just give them twenty again because now it's like I'm just you, you give know him, you give them twenty one, right. right? So now I have to I have to remember to bring a single now every time. So they'll I, give so you change I, if you give them two twenties. They'll give you change. I'm not. That's that's, that's such a hassle. I'm not. I gonna, think three dollars on seventeen. That's a sufficient tip. But but it's like it's like they're they're like losing. It's like they took they took a pay cut, you know. Well, like it's not your fault. Eh, no, I, <laughs> it, is, it is kind of his fault because he doesn't want to have a single with them. Like yeah. just give him two twenties. They'll give you change. It's fine. No, I, I I now I just I just bring a single whenever I remember to because it's it's so much like because I don't want to give them less a less tip than before. <laughs> why don't you Why don't you give give them a twenty dollar bill and one silver dollar like a grandpa? <laughs> Do those still <laughs> exist? Can you still get those? Someone's yeah. got them. They're still in circulation somewhere. <laughs> give him a two dollar bill. Aye. All right, let's do titles. Let me see. I like the nerds who aren't having to drive well, the Germans thing, but I, I'm not sure if that's going to be in the... Because that was kind of... Was the chapter thing in the show? I think it was kind of pre It show. was, but it was pre-FU. Yeah, I might cut that. That's fine. I don't want everyone knowing that I made a chapter tool. Um, Let me see... Floppy carrot and lack of stick is amazing. Floppy carrot by itself, I think, is better than lack of stick. But no, I actually no. think I might agree with you. Even though floppy carrot and lack of stick is amazing, was, I think but, there was a better I could do one. floppy carrot by itself. Wasn't there a better one? I think I remember seeing a better one somewhere. There, I mean, not, there's also really. there is no stick, not enough of a carrot. No, I like not related captain. to this topic. Oh, okay. uh, the captain's good. They're both disasters. Uh... Yeah, like we're gonna pick its ramifications. Come on, guys. We all listen. Most of us listen to Roderick on the line. I know, but we're not gonna pick it as a title. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like that's. My God, what happened to CMF? These are just like all CMF. 
I, I, I just realized that I've been reading his name as Code Fragment Manager, but that would be CFM. Or wow. Cold Fusion. I don't think he knows what Code Fragment Manager is. CMF, do you know what the Code Fragment Manager is? Oh, I'm so tired. Let's see. Oh, well, here's one. Blue Ring Stud. That was my other favorite one. <laughs> oh, that's, that is really good, actually. That's probably better than Floppy Carrot. Even though that is <laughs> it sounds not, better. not really related to anything. I think it's a good title. Yeah, that's I'm fine good. with that. I'm fine with that or Floppy Carrot. <laughs> Phrases you don't usually hear. You could do Blue Ring Stud in the Floppy Carrot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read my poem? I'm so... Uh, I'm trying to figure out what, how the hell I knew this one. Did you read it? Had you ever heard of it? This... I feel like I'd read it once an eternity ago. Uh, which one are we doing? Are we doing the Blue Ring Stud? Or are we doing Floppy Carrot? I, I think I think Floppy Carrot is more on topic, but Blue Ring Stud is a better title. Marco? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Blue Ring Stud. Floppy okay. Carrot is funnier, but Blue Ring Stud is a better title. I agree. And I, I just want people to listen to the episode waiting for like, what the hell is Blue Ring Stud? And it's all the way at the end and it has like nothing to do with like Reddit or the Mac App Store. Or Not even close. Yeah, exactly. It's saying that Casey knows how to stand up. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> I know how to stand. Now your son knows how to stand. Where did he learn that from? He got those standing jeans from me. I know how to stand. <laughs> yeah. Declan stands up, say, you go just like dad. Just like your dad. Oh, well, your geez. wife just wiggles on the floor like a worm because she doesn't know how to stand. <laughs> uh, Declan is good at that, too. He's a little worm wiggle, his little army crawl. <laughs> he yeah, shoves himself away, along with his foot, like just pushing his little stiff body along with one foot. Yeah, but now he's actually crawl crawling. Yeah. So you get those videos of their hilarious uh, crawling ineptitude before they actually figure it out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just shoving his body across the carpet with one foot. <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right. I have some uh, show notes for you there, Marco. And obviously, you're going to have to go through it and see what gets cut. But thank you very much. Are they in Squarespace or in, uh, in, in Docs? Oh, perfect. Did you get my late breaking ones like the uh, the uh, audio hijack, uh, the poem link, Pads in the I Grass? Got, I got Pads in the Grass. I got. Uh, I did not get audio hijack. When did we talk about that? You got Furbo? No, I did not get Furbo either. Audio hijack we talked about in like the whole rootless thing, uh, the poem right. thing. Uh, did I put it, the poem thing in there? I thought the I poem put the poem thing, thing in the it. after show. The poem thing made Thanks. it. Uh, where did I put it? Yeah, that's in the after show. Uh, so it, it was around Coda. Was it before or after Coda? After. Mm, no, that was before because I was rootless. Never mind. Yeah. Before Paths in the Grass? Renz, no, I didn't update my wallet yet. I'm still looking. Uh, let's see. What did we say? Uh, audio hijack. And the Furbo link, I didn't put that in. Yeah, though. I just put it in. Oh, no, it's, I'm oh, sorry. Wait, it isn't a bullet because I can't do bulleted list. There we go. Hey, it worked. Wow. No, the Furbo link is there. It was, uh, I, I, I missed that when we were talking about it two seconds ago, but it's there. All right, cool. Audio hijack. I forget it. I didn't know what you were talking about for a second. I forgot that that's a site. I read it, but I forgot that that's a site. Furbo filters. They're like turbo filters, but with fur. Uh, that's where Furbo comes from. Furbo filters. You've made Photoshop filters. Oh, Just remember? No, you don't. You know, you weren't in the Mac. Nope. nope. 
used to be a thing you could make Photoshop filters, and he made some. I only know Kai's power tools. Yeah, it was around that same time. You make everything chrome, like fake chrome. In the fake chrome, it was like fake mountain. The interface is a giant rock. Yeah, right, yeah. With blobs of mercury floating in it. All right, I really need to go to bed, but because I'm an idiot and I hate myself, I'm going to ask what, what conclude I was not following with the car chat, with the accidental neutral that was in the chat room earlier. Were conclusions reached or no? Other than how did you not know what a G-Wagon is? Because it's the kind of thing I would never in a million years want or like or think was decent looking at all. W-G-A-E-N. Mm-hmm. What, is, what were you even talking about with the car thing? Uh, talking about Tesla colors and, and everything. Oh. Because they don't come in any good colors, basically. Custom paint jobs. Is there any good color? I don't other think than they the black? offer. Yeah. So, well, so basically, my so no, no, I'm to, saying in your in your personal estimation, is there a color other than black that is good? I've seen other colors that that have been good. Uh, my my one of my favorites is is BMW's Sakir Orange. Uh, uh, which, here we go again. I hey, it's a really good color, and everyone in the chat uh, thought it was a really good color too. They all agreed with me that, that was an amazing color. So it's you a guys, color. You guys, did you lose. see Danger Mouse's uh, Ferrari that someone tweeted? No. No. Anyway, the problem is, so Tesla, I, as far as I can tell, uh, I, they, they seem to used to offer a custom color option, but they discontinued it like a year or two ago. So, because they said it was causing too much production complexity to try to track all these cars. So, you basically, as far as I know, you can't get custom colors anymore. If you could, and it was reasonably priced, I would almost certainly try a secure orange Tesla. Unfortunately, it seems like that's not an option. So, uh, basically... Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm looking at between metallic black. Uh, that Ferrari is terrible. Oh, my God. What is it? Dead What's Mouse, it? not Danger Mouse. Sorry. Oh, Dead Mouse 5? What yeah. is that? Oh, my God. That, <laughs> it looks like it's been vandalized. This is, yeah. No. Wait, custom paint jobs. The world is your oyster. You should yeah, you could just get a wrap, get a vinyl wrap or whatever ah, that's, it is. That's fake. I don't want it. I don't want, that's dumb. So is your face. That's a reference. Anyway, so... Uh, How come, John, you don't need to tell me about the references you do and don't get? I, like I, That one I didn't even know. Is that, is that dodgeball again? I don't even know oh. what you're referencing with that one. So is your face? No, yeah. come on, chat room. There's oh, a 90s goodness. movies. Nope. Like, you've it's seen a lot of crappy television. 90s movies that I've just not seen. <laughs> like The Rocketeer? No, that's not... That's, that's not crappy. It's I've not? I've seen that one. God damn. I assume that I get all your references, except for the ones that are just like, so is your face. I mean, it's like, it could be any Will Ferrell movie. That's not Will Ferrell. But it could be, though. Totally no, could be. Chat room. Oh, I'm so angry. Chat room is real. Oh. Could also be Ben Stiller. CMF is right about that. Chat room. You're Scrubs? Yes. That's what the chat room says. I've never oh, watched an episode it. of Scrubs in, in my chat. life. I did. I, where, where is that the chat room? Oh, Matt Call. I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't see you there. Yeah, no, I've never watched that show. So uh, again, I don't feel like Scrubs is, uh, if you had made a Seinfeld reference, I feel like Seinfeld looms larger in the pop culture landscape than Scrubs. Oh, sure. My streaming is real and it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. There you go. Oh, what the hell is that from? I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Casey. So do you think, could I pull off a red car or is that crazy? I, I like like I said I keep showing you the red Tesla that I like and you keep saying you don't like it but you like you like the uglier red one you like the one that looks more like uh, candy apple red and I like the one that actually looks kind of like metallic maroon yeah the, the maroon one I never I've seen that one in person that's a classy lot. it's so classy yeah 
I see them all the time. Like, I see these cars on the road. That's why I know these colors exist. And I'm not, <laughs> Everyone's not saying no in the chat. I can't pull it off. <laughs> I don't understand why not. If I mean, you can pull off the orange BMW, you can pull off the red whatever. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I could pull that off either. I, I don't <laughs> think you could pull off the Oh, God damn it. I keep pasting in the wrong. <laughs> Here, so this, the, is, the this is the red I'm looking up. at. I just pasted that in the chat. And then this is secure orange on BMW. And then this is their gray. So the three links there, red, orange, and gray. Uh, the gray, I think, looks pretty good, but it's just so boring. I, I really don't think I would feel good about that. It, to be honest, given the secure and the red, I would take the secure every day. Oh, me too. But it's, it's not. It's not. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I am not a big fan of the secure, but I. God, that red is. It's that's, very bright. That's red. It's yeah. It's very bright. But yeah, I don't know. I just. Safari I, I is don't... doing the thing where it won't load URLs for me. I just want to note this. I complain about it. It's happening again. To click the link, it just never loads. Tipster, fix that. I. Uh, <laughs> I do like the uh, Tesla that you pasted, John. Yeah, I like that. It's not just a. It has a kind of a metallic sheen to it. Yeah, with a little bit of orange in there, it'd be perfect. So which one? I'm finally trying to load these See, pictures now because I'm loading them in like Chrome. Anything like this, like the like the red wine kind of colors, I just they they just scream like old people's Lexus to me. Well, you're you're paying your barber with silver dollars and getting fifty dollar <laughs> bills from the cash machine. This is this time of your life. I don't think I'm there yet. What kind of person do you think drives uh, uh, a Tesla of this caliber? Hope I also, I worry a bit uh, that, you know, John, your original theory of, like, black is the best color to get for cars that don't have very attractive body paneling designs. It is totally true. I, I worry a little bit this might require black because their paneling is just so, like, plain. Like, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's badly designed, but it's just, like, it's very, like, there's not much to uh, it. This is big, smooth. Yeah, the proportions are good. Your biggest problem is the is the the catfish mouth with the retainer in it. And no color <laughs> helps you with that. Like, catfish you know what I mean? Like, the big gaping mouth filled, filled with that clear fast. That is amazing. John, I can't even listen to you right now. I'm still back on catfish mouth with the retainer in it. That's amazing. But, like, and, uh, but you can't, there's nothing you can do about that one. Like, <laughs> even even on the white car, they still make that part black. It's just you can't hide it. The black is going to hide, like, like, awkward hips and weird scallops and stuff like that in the side. But it's not gonna like the mouth. There's nothing you can do about it. So, yeah, no, you're right. It is kind of nondescript. But I've seen Teslas in white, and the, to me, they don't look any worse in white than they do in black. Which shows that like oh, the I basic, disagree. the basic proportions <laughs> and structures are okay. Uh, the, just the front end of the mouth bothered me the most. Yeah, I just, I, I just, part of me wants something different because I've had black cars for so long, and and part of me does not like the chrome on the black, as we talked about last time. Like it's, it's, it's there's so it's much so chrome. It's just, it's just the door handles. It's like the door handles plus the, the trim around the, the windows. The mirrors plus is the, the only mirrors. place you have. The mirrors are over the top. Yeah, all three of those. Like the combination of all that results in way too much chrome. The door handles are always chrome on cars. Like well, who do you have against the chrome door handles? You know, Mine's, not. Mine's not. Mine's body colored. Chrome door yeah. handles are fine. Look at that orange M3. That's, they're body colored door handles. I, mean, I agree with you that chrome door handles are fine. But yeah, my, my door handle. Your door look, handles I think they look kind are of cheap. body colored. Honestly. I can't wait until your door for your door handle not to pop out once because that's going to be awesome. Like that is totally like an eighties. Uh, remember eighties uh, electronics? Yeah, where yeah, you yeah. had to have like a hidden door or a sliding panel or something. That's yeah. what these handles are. I mean, well, that's it's what Comfort also- Access is for me now. It fails. It's still every they replaced the whole battery and they say they had this big theory. That theory was bullshit. It didn't work at Dude, all. Dude, footwell module. I'm telling you, that's a secret. Tell them to replace the footwell module. I'm only. Getting, I have this car for like seven more months. It's not worth going in it, yeah it's not worth it 
Did we talk about on the show my heinously expensive battery? We did, actually, yeah. Oh, we talked about it on Twitter. Didn't we talk about it on the show show? We talked about it last week's after show. We did not... Uh, we, I, I think I, yeah, I cut out the whole neutral thing because it was just too boring. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And I'm, I'm going to cut this out, too. I can't believe you tweeted that. So yeah, why? You know what you're going to get. <laughs> you know well, you're gonna it get wasn't any- actually as bad as I expected, but to be honest... I, well, that's not fair. I didn't expect any, oh, humble brags, but I only got a couple of them. But people are just like, you could do it yourself for much less money. Oh, Take it yes. to an independent I, dealer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You got ripped off, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know why that happened to me, John? Because somebody with 50-plus thousand followers decided to Try retweet. to blame me. You chose to post it anyway. <laughs> the reason I retweeted it is because, not to like to, to sick a bunch of people on you, but because that's something people tend not to think about in terms of like, oh, can I afford to get this car? Well, you can afford to get a BMW if you buy a used one or if you lease it or whatever. The cost of repairs for fancy cars is just so much greater than regular mm-hmm. cars. Even if you bought it for the same amount, getting your battery replaced on your Honda Civic does not cost four hundred and fifty dollars. Even if you get it done at the world's most gouging dealer, right? <laughs> it's just like the price of everything is more expensive on fancy cars because it can be. Yeah, I mean that's like you know, like Casey, you, you want to go buy a used M three at some point. Well, guess what? When you have to get new brake pads, and like <laughs> oh, which by the way, my car is due for very soon. But yeah, yeah. it's gonna be bad enough on your car. The M cars are even worse. Mm-hmm. I was just reading about the ATSV and how they have uh, custom custom versions of uh, uh, the Pilot Sport tires, like not just the regular ones, but a special custom variant. You know, those are. I think they said they were like. You know, I mean, they didn't seem that extreme, but like, you know, those are going to be so much more. You can't just go to like a tire rack place. And I mean, you probably can, but it's like, don't you want like the car, the the wheels that were made for your car? Right. The custom wheels. These the only the car. Tires. These these yeah, the only the only car these tires go on is your car because they're a special custom variant that has a slightly different tread pattern designed for your car. Uh, and they're good wheels like and, you know, in, in the reviews, like it handles great. And, you know, everyone says it's a lot of it has to do with these wheels. It's like, you know you're going to be paying through the nose for those. As opposed to just like, well, whatever, just put an all-season radial on there. It'll be fine. I don't even care who makes it because. So I have two thoughts about this. One, we are currently borrowing my parents' uh, Chrysler Pacifica, which was during the Mercedes Chrysler era. And um, I don't recall offhand what size wheels that car has, but apparently they're completely insane. And so getting tires for them, for that car, is unaffordable because – it's like one of the few cars that uses that particular size, just like you were saying, John. Um, also, I got uh, shit. What was the name of the tire? Uh, wait, how it? did your parents end up with a Chrysler Pacifica? <laughs> how did you allow this to happen? I, it was when I was in Virginia, and they were in Connecticut. And wait, John, trust what me. did your parents just buy? I tried, but it, 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 <laughs> I Thanks, tried Marco. as hard as You've I could. Always been and my they favorite. still ended up with a Lexus, not a Chrysler. <laughs> It's actually not a bad car because it's more Mercedes than anything else. Ugh, but it is not an attractive car. No, no, it's not attractive. It's a good Jesus. car. It is very little to recommend, other than the fact that it's technically not an SUV. That's the only thing it has in its favor. No, I mean, no argument here. But anyway, well, and, and Dad just recently bought a brand new Wrangler. That's Chrysler-ish. Um, but anyways, the but the other th- complaint I have is uh, what did I get? I forget the name of the tire I have. It's an a, it's shit. I think it's a pilot. Anyways, it's a ship I, pilot. Uh, yeah, it's a ship pilot. It's like a ship poo. Um, anyway, I got these tires in late 2013, and 16,000 miles later, my rear tires are pretty much shot. Stop doing burnouts in the parking lot. All wheel drive, John. All wheel drive. All wheel drive. I can, but. Still, I don't. All right, so I think I'm going to just talk myself out of the Tesla red because... because the red that I like or the other red? The, my other red. 
because this is another angle from that post. And John, I think you're right. I think oh, the, God, the grill, bad. the Do front. Do you not grill, know how to copy URLs from search results without having them be DuckDuckGo URLs? That's correct. Here, well, this is here. This is the the source post that has a whole bunch of pictures of the same car, and they're really good pictures. But I think you're right that that big black front grill area just looks really stupid from the front, like on on this color. Like it 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 works on a black car because you know it I don't think the in. black car hides that much because that pl- stupid clear plastic thing just pokes out. Like it's just out in your face. Like it's not. It's not like an Aston Martin where that's a literal hole because there's no radiator behind there to fill. Like it's, it's <laughs> but it smooth. doesn't. They, it doesn't draw attention on, on the black as much. Whereas like the red, it's like here's this big thing that like the black you can kind of forgive it for being just part of the car. You know? Yeah. But it, this right. it that, really it does look. Yeah, it does look worse than this red. Oh, oh that man. interior with that stupid screen. Ah. Oh. <laughs> the it's carbon so fiber dumb. wing on the back—that's no good. The little yeah, that's, that that only comes in black. So if I get black, I will get that because I think it does look nicer with it in black. Even the raw carbon fiber—I hate raw carbon fiber looking. Yeah, that's really bad, man. You got you, this. Is this car? It's going to be hard not to make it look homely. It looks they look good in person like they because they have their wide and lowish and yeah, have they do big, look very big hips good. in the back. They do look OK from like the back and the side from the front. Yeah. This uh, this person with the red one is rocking a Valentine one. That's the radar thing that you use. Mm-hmm. The radar the thing radar. I never use because it's illegal in Virginia. That's true. Yes. But the radar thing that you use all the time when you leave Virginia, which now you never do. Pretty much. Yeah, now that your parents live there, like when when are you ever going to leave? I. Well, I mean, I'm going to North Carolina tomorrow. That counts. Yeah. Oh, God. Here we go. 70 mile an hour speed limits to North Carolina. And Virginia, dude. And Virginia. It's exciting. That's because we know what we're doing. Not really. Gravel shoulders. Nope. Now you don't know what you're doing anymore. Gravel shoulders where? North Carolina. Oh, that very well may be. It's been a well, year since I've been Virginia down there. somewhere, too. Well, I'm sure there's gravel shoulders in freaking Massachusetts as well. Plus, uh, our states are civilized parts. Oh, God. <laughs> Plus, our states aren't filled with mass holes. Mm, yeah, just yeah, but you have yeah Confederate issues in your states. <laughs> Actually, with that said, I don't typically see that many Confederate flags, which is surprising because this was the capital capital of the Confederacy. Yeah. Don't see many truck knots either. Uh, not anymore. I used to, but, um, this is, like, but, know, this is like diminished standards. You said, I don't usually see that many Confederate flags. I always see zero. Like, well, yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so anyway, but <laughs> the other day, like right after the whole kerfuffle in South Carolina, I see a pickup going down the street, flying like a full size Confederate flag off of the tailgate. And I believe the "Don't Tread on Me" uh, flag uh, as course. well. Yep. Which, of course, as soon as I see either one of those, I'm like, we yeah. uh, we will never be able to communicate because you are not living in the same world I am. Also, like a gun rack and a Laird Skinner sticker or something. Probably. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, Skinner's the worst. <laughs> I just kidding, I don't really don't care. <laughs> I care about all the other things. <laughs> oh boy! All right, all right. are we done? Yeah, I think we should go to bed. Anything for uh, after bye, live listeners? Anything from after that? I don't think so. We really need to stay on after that. I don't know. Anyway, bye, live people. Thank you for being live people, and we will see you in a very long time. Yeah, we won't see you for someone's forever. going on vacation. Some Actually, two, two someone's. Everyone except somebody talking right now is going on vacation. You are always on vacation. You are retired. <sighs> always on vacation in California. You are retired, and you might move to California, and then there you will. Or Oregon. I don't or, know. Yeah, they, or they have, Washington. They have a bit of an earthquake issue in all those states. But we'll Tidal waves. It's going to wipe out the whole coast. 
Yeah. See that the, that whole earthquake story. First of all, it was a great story. Um, but the uh, Cascadia <laughs> fault issue that that, yeah. that the north the, the northern parts have. Um, but see, like that makes me want to live more in California than than Portland or Seattle because, like, California at least, like, they know, like, they prepared for longer. They know what to expect. You know, things like in California they, are built like crap. Maybe your place won't be, but like, I'm amazed that I. Don't, I just thinking, like, don't you have building codes in this state? Like, forget about the total lack of insulation. Like, the, the exterior walls. Even just looking at, like, uh, like Waves, Dr. Waves posting, like, the inside of his house. Like, that's what your walls are made out of? Like, <laughs> it's like being in Japan where the walls are made of paper. Like, <laughs> What do they need they, walls for? They have no weather. That's what I'm saying. No insulation. Then you don't need to have the wall cavities be largely insulation. So you have, like, two-by-twos making your exterior walls. There's, like, uh, you know, I was at my brother's place. There was like an outlet, uh, you know, every 17 feet on the wall. Like, isn't it code? You have to have an electrical outlet like every six feet. And like, this didn't look like it was that old construction. I don't understand the building codes out there. But anyways, we had, where you don't have weather, the building codes tend to be lax. The current building codes are all great for earthquake stuff. But I don't know if anything you're going to buy has been built in the last, you know, three decades. Well, by, by the time I actually get out there in like 20 years, uh, I would imagine things will be 20 years better. So can we'll I see. can I interest you in the Hamptons? I hear Optima Online has some of the best internet access in the country, even though it's not FiOS. I kept writing, I kept reading that like <laughs> ratings of ISPs and like my the old ISP from Long Island, which used to be whatever the hell it is, and now it's Optima Online. It's amazing ratings yeah, for like speed cable and everything. Cablevision, right? That's... Yeah. How can that be good? It was so terrible when I was there. Anyway, it was great. Hampton, Cablevision served great. Westchester. Like until I moved into this house that had FiOS, nowhere else I've lived before this. All the various apartments, none of them had FiOS available. So I had cablevision internet. It was fine. It was it was way better than Brooklyn. Brooklyn was awful with Time Warner and. Oof. Uh, well, but anyway, yeah. saying the Hamptons are really nice. It's also filled with a bunch of other people who have Teslas. Yeah, but mm, it's also filled with people. terrible weather and also terrible weather. You know, the Hamptons are awesome. It's awesome, yeah. except for the winter and the summer. The, the winter isn't like it. The winter is moderated by the ocean. You're not going to be dumped on with that much snow. Eh, slightly, yeah. Yeah, then you're also stuck on the island. It's a, yeah, Long Island isn't that great. That's where Tiff belongs. That's where she came <laughs> from. That's where she belongs. That's why she left. <laughs> she left for you. Even her parents left. The whole family's fled. Well, you leave when you get old, because then you got to go to live on the farm. Yeah. Ugh. I hate farms. They don't, they don't have Fios at farms, ever. <laughs> they have the worst internet connections at farms. It's always, it's always the slowest. You just, you just attach your TCP IP packets to this little furry dog and send them off. And they go, That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Latency is a bit of a problem. Packet loss. He just wanders off and forgets. Sometimes what they just lick them. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't go well. Anyway. Yeah. So by the time I move out to California, we will be so tired of the real issues of having an old house that we will just move into a brand new glass and metal cube that just has nothing that can rot. Well, that'll, that'll go great with, with an earthquake. California is going to fall off the country before you get out there. Well, then it'll be cheaper. Wow. All right. Goodbye, live listeners. Buy some oceanfront property in the desert of Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.